but yeah, that was just the real bitch of it. And we had, we had gotten to the point where both like, maybe we're dead and in purgatory. Maybe that's because <laughs> it's like every, every fucking time it's like, Oh, something's leaking. Get it fixed. Okay. Got it fixed. Okay. All right. It's fixed. We're going to sanitize everything. Da, da, da. Okay. A few days later, it's leaking again. Okay. Come in and fix it again. You know? So this was, yeah, this was the fourth time it was leaking within the span of like a week or two from a different place every time, you know? Um, but yeah, this is going to be my favorite cold open. (laughs) Maybe we're dead and we're in purgatory. Yeah. back everybody to another episode of the motor mouth podcast the podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere my name is joel tyree and with me as always is my esteemed co-host the tim gerard hello hello tim two topics enter i why did i (laughs) stutter on that i went through the whole intro (laughs) to the main bits (laughs) instead of riffing on the fact that i always say hi to you after you've said hi right I, I stumbled over two topics enter and sanity leaves. Tim, what did you bring? So, so for this week, my topic was, was inspired by our, um, our, our last uh, movie mumble podcast where we, we watched Joel's pick, um, you know, or your pick, depending on where I'm talking to you. Or <laughs> uh, so your pick was, it might get loud, mm-hmm. which was all about guitar, which, you know, again, like I, I, played guitar since high school it's not my first instrument but it's definitely uh something i've kind of uh you know connected to on on some levels and there are definitely things i can appreciate about guitar but it kind of got me thinking um you know and as as we've said before with this podcast a lot of times a lot of tv shows get picked as the topic so i was kind of thinking along the lines of like okay well what if instead of tv shows what if we talk about like albums or certain you know recordings by you know, by different artists that we've liked and things like that. And that could be something to to discuss as a different topic realm. But then I kind of thought like, okay, well maybe before that, before zeroing in on a specific album and just talking about that, you know, kind of getting to, um, you know, how it might get loud. I could, you know, it was inspiring in a way, um, you know, for me, even though I'm not a guitarist, but I was thinking like, what, what would be kind of more inspiring, you know, as a, you know, drumming being my first instrument. So I was like, what, what's a way to kind of tie that together? So, so this week I want to talk about the, you know, me growing up as a drummer, the, the music or the, the albums that I used to play drum set to that kind of like taught me, you know, cause you know, as like, Oh, well, yeah. Like, you know, you know, Jimmy Page and, you know, I used to try to play that stuff on guitar, you know, and kind of being inspired by a certain guitarist that you try to mimic, you know? So for me, it was, it was drummers of these certain bands and, and it ended up being albums specifically. Um, mostly because, you know, again, when I was a kid, this was before the internet and like, you could just kind of access any song anytime you wanted. Like if you, you, if you wanted to listen to random stuff, you either listen to the radio and hope the stuff you want to hear pops up or buy an actual album 
And then you own that whole album for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely for me, it was specific albums that I would put on and play through. So, um, so yeah, so I figured we could discuss the kind of the, the drumming side since we got the guitar side of, you know, what I used to play as a kid and, you know, what, what albums taught me to play the drum set. That's cool. I'm definitely going to to chime in with the guitar side of it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. Um, funny that yours is also inspired by It Might Get Loud. <laughs> um, I want to talk about guitar pedals. Oh, nice. Okay. I, I know you don't have much expertise in this area, but I kind of want to do a TED Talk on it because in, in the It Might Get Loud episode, you were like, I, I got two settings for guitar. I want yep. it nasty and distorted, or I want it clean and pure and acoustic. Yep. And my brain went, no, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much gear. There's so much, the way that you collect sound libraries, it's the same for guitar. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, after I said that, I did think about it. And it was like, oh, there, there are more than that. So we could, yeah, we can get into to my side of it, like, and, and, what what i've used because I, as you were saying it too i thought i'm like oh wait, no there's a third sound um <laughs> and then oh wait there is a fourth okay like this so yeah so so i can i'll have a little bit to chime in as far as like what uh what and I, then i'll just send you a picture of my current setup and then i'll send you right. my uh guitar center wish list of all the things that i want right. and we'll just go item by item <laughs> yeah well, and, and the other thing too watching the the tom morello master class that also gave me a little more mm. of an appreciation um, I, I feel like w- watching it might get loud with the edge. That was, that was overkill for me. Like that was like terrifying yeah. watching the amount, seeing the amount of switches he had. Edge um, really reminds me of Jake, our friend mm. Jake, who plays uh, everything, but mm. he's primarily a drummer. But when he would try and set in, like we would jam and play through garage band or whatever, he spent forever trying to get one. Cause he had electric uh, right, uh, drum yeah. kick. He's like, I get, he has to dial it in. So a recording session in quote or a jam session in quotation marks was a whole lot of him setting up mm. and just kind of noodling around until he was ready. So that 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 level, like paralyzed by choice, is definitely yeah. a thing with the effects and edge. And it's crazy because when they keep intercutting uh, for <laughs> for the audience who hasn't seen this movie, maybe see it. It, it might be, get loud. Is really great. It's Jimmy Page. It's Jack White, and it's the Edge from U two talking about the electric guitar. It's an, it's an insanely good uh, rockumentary guitar p- porn. It's great. Um, but in the sequences where Edge is trying to get that one riff with the the right sounds, mm-hmm. that was as they were setting up before everybody got there and they weren't originally going to record it. It was just happenstance that they picked up a camera and watched him dial that in. So, and they keep cutting back to it. There's like five or five to seven times they cut back to him. And that's all just prep before they started the summit with the other two guitarists. So it's like, yeah, there's definitely like a, a paralysis of choice and like, I think with the edge, it's like trying to get the sound in his head out, which is, I think that's a different level to it. Cause with me, it's just like, Oh, that's cool. It's, it's like pottery or sculpture or like refurbishing things. Whenever I watch those kind of videos where like they're DIYing something or putting it together, I never know when, when they're done. 
Because there's so many times within the thing where I'm like, that looks pretty good. That's where I would stop. And they do a million things more. And then it looks like amazing. So it, like, that's another thing is like, sometimes the, the, the sculptor pulling the, the sculpture out of the, the mold of clay is a lot more sophisticated than what I'm doing. So I just want to make it crunchy and nasty mm-hmm. <laughs> with this little trill over the back of it. So cool. So, so the, the, origin of tim's drumming through albums the history of tim through albums yeah we do a lot of origin story topics which is cool right yeah well it's funny yeah it's funny that there are all these different avenues too where it's like you know especially now like it really is weird for me to think of myself as a drummer because i haven't been a drummer well depending on how you look at it like it hasn't been my primary musical focus for a long time, but also the fact that I just haven't physically drummed in so long, you know, Mm. um, you know, it's like, you know, can you call yourself a drummer if you're not drumming, you know, type of thing, Mm. even if it's something you used to do. And, and it's, it's always something I feel like I would like to get back to, you know, and I, I do miss it, but, um, you know, that was, that was the thing for so long. And it was so weird to look back now and be like, Oh, that was a means to an end. Like that's what brought me to composition you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's like, it, it definitely defined a lot of my musical tastes, you know, in terms of like, you know, even, even, you know, like, like, for example, with rush, we're going to talk about rush, but like, <laughs> you know, starting with the drumming, it led me to appreciate the compositional process of the entire songs, not just, Oh, this drumming is really good. Right. Um, and that's, what's been really weird, you know, as, you know, it was one of those clues where I was like, I don't think I'm a drummer because when I talk to other drummers about, about Neil Peart and stuff, it's a lot of times we're not coming from the same place, you know, and it's, it is really weird. And, um, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people who are just like a hundred percent a drummer, it's like, they'll, they'll dig into, you know, yeah. Like, like kind of like what we're saying with the guitar, like the sound and this and that. And for me, it, it was always more about rhythm it wasn't so much about the, like the, the, the sound or the timbre of his drums. Mm-hmm. It was about the rhythms he was playing and how those rhythms, you know, combined with the rhythms that everybody else was playing and how it all matched up. And then, you know, once I kind of took music theory in high school and learned about, you know, notes and scales and how all that stuff works, like it layered, it added, it made sense of that layer to me. Um, so it gave me almost more of an appreciation for um what what else was going besides the drums you know the drums are what kind of brought me into it but that's the thing too it's like it wasn't like i was at home trying to make my drum set sound exactly like his drum set you know and it's like it was like well this is the drum set i have i'm going to do the best of my ability on these drums with what he's doing with all of his drums you know so so there was always this this variable in there and that's why i think you know like when they talk about people oh i was trying to get the sound in my head out it wasn't about reproducing, you know, the sound of his drums that I was hearing. It was about reproducing the rhythms he was playing. Um, and I think that's kind of where it led itself to the, the compositional process, not like, Oh, well, I'm a drummer. So I need this and this and that, you know, and I remember that too, when, uh, like when I bought my drum set, uh, my final drum set, you know, I, there, there was some distinction in the type of sound that was produced by different woods. Um, but it, you know, it was definitely like a, 
like this vague awareness of like, yeah, I want something that's kind of deep and punchy. Oh, well you want this wood. Okay. Yeah. That's what I want. You know? Yeah. That sounds good. You know? Um, and I also was the, you know, I wasn't the type of person yet to endlessly tweak the tuning of my drums, mm. you know, as long as it went high, medium, low, good, we're good. Let's go. You know? <laughs> so we, we um, I need to know like what your, your like generational setups were for your drums. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I but, had, I had a ton but of real quick sets. over the weekend, I was at my parents' house for mother's day mm-hmm. and I went up and played like my, the first guitar I ever bought, like my first electric. I plugged it into the shitty PV amp that I had first and made it sound pretty rude and nasty and got to play it in my Japanese guitar that I bought and had the whammy bar put on. And up there was my dad's, the silver tone drum set he bought one year for Christmas. And I was, we got some Zildjian ZBT symbols. So there's like hi hat crash and then a ride and like, just stepping into the, the bass pedal and those toms, like they haven't been tuned since we bought it. Just mm-hmm. the bratty, flat, nasty. Yep. And that like, we have tone rings on them. Cause we were trying to like deaden the sound. So it was not great. Like, so it, it just still was like bratty and like really out of tune, really bad. And the, my dad really likes like nylon tipped, uh, sticks, mm. which I always think are really tinny sounding. I really like just wood head yeah. on it, like specific, <clears throat> See, like yeah. See, I love the sound of them on cymbals, but then they break, like they'll just uh, shatter. You know, right. well for me anyway. Like I, you know, <laughs> like that. I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, uh, but yeah, like I used. To, you're right that it, it is, it is so much more. You know, because it's this this like denser material, I guess. Cause with wood, you know, wood has some give to it. It is soft. It usually has this polish on it, mm-hmm. but the more you play it, the kind of softer the tips get, they start to wear away. So you lose some of the definition on the symbols. So I, yeah. Like I used to love the sound of like nylon tip on symbols, but, but yeah, they would just break and it's like, well, cool. This little thing broke off and now this whole stick is no good. Right. It's also crazy. My dad has a pair of metal drumsticks. Oh, okay. They're like blue, blue steel with these white enamel tips and he has like from rim shots and shit like they're all dug out and they've got like weird textures but they're i mean they're metal so they were they're indestructible he still has them from when he was playing in like high school and stuff oh wow so that that those are kind of cool but like talk about a tinny sound yeah and it was it was one of those things playing like i was like this this is garbage like a lot of people like poor players will complain about poor instruments I'm okay as a drummer. I'm, I've never, I'm not, I, I can play ACDC stuff. Like mm-hmm. when you say like, that's your favorite drummer. I could play that when I was 12. I'm at that level. That that's all, <laughs> all I can sit behind somebody else in, in a jam session and I could follow like that. That's where my role is. <laughs> if there, yeah. if there was a rhythm drummer rather than a lead drummer, like a guitarist, right. that yeah. would be my role. I could sit back, play something a little funky, a little straight, solid four, four, I can do that for you, <laughs> but nothing above that. But like, even that I was like sitting behind, I was like Zildjian symbols. I mean, they're great. Like I w- wish we had an A crash. I wish we had a better ride. Like all these things, I, it's crazy how quickly all that stuff comes back of like looking at, at, at drum sets and what, what the possibilities are. I, I think mm-hmm. I sent you uh, the uh, Jack White's setup from uh, the dead weather where he's got them all real low. I, I, I sent it in uh, the movie Mumble Trap. Oh, okay. I don't know if you got mm-hmm. a chance to see it. 
but like with their newest album, he was talking about his setup as a drummer. Mm-hmm. And he's got like three different sections of, he's got uh, two snares over here and one's a marching band snare. So it's got a really whap, like mm-hmm. a really, really staccato sound with that. And then he's got, uh, he had a snare and they cut it in half and they made one part of snare and one type, just if you were going to pull the snare off and play it, uh, what do you call that? Like where you take the snare off the snare, like you, you yeah, just either, yeah, snares off or like, you know. Yeah. So he, he has that right next to it. So that's a quad of three and he's got all, and they're all in the same, he doesn't have anything in front of his face. It's all mm-hmm. like, so he sits up above it like a, a old school, like right, yeah. jazz drummer and it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool yeah but it's like, like a table of drums yeah. yeah but that's the thing like all it's just as versatile as anything else like it's yeah. not just two toms mounted on the the uh the bass drum a snare a hi-hat yeah. and then a, a floor tom like it, it, like the mm-hmm. configurations are just as endless as anything else so that yeah. that that was kind of cool to, to go back it like because i've been so charged up musically after watching that movie, I like going back and seeing the drum set. It's like, oh, this could this this is playable, but it's not great. Like, it'd be cool if this yeah. was that way, and it, like so. Well, yeah, I like that concept that it's about different different timbres, not just like okay, you have the snare and bass, which are kind of these two things, and then you have you know many toms, which are essentially the same role, just varying pitches. You know. Right. Whereas, yeah, if you have like, oh, this is a marching snare, this is a snare where the snares are, probably has more of like a timbali kind of sound, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, so that you, you know, the way you're thinking of your fills is more, yeah, about like, okay, it's not just about going, you know, like, right. it's like, okay, what, what sound do I want this on? Or the way you might incorporate that into the beats you're playing, you know, things like that. Um, and that was actually one of the things I did want to comment on uh, that I forgot to with the movie Mumble is that I one of the things that I do kind of find interesting is how, how Meg approaches the drums in the white stripes, Yeah, you know, and, and it's almost like, I don't know anything about them. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean this as like an insult, but it's almost like she isn't a trained drummer because trained drummers will approach a drum set. Like, okay, you got the eights on the hi hat, snare on two and four, Absolutely. and then the bass, you know, whereas she's just kind of approaching it as all these separate pieces and almost playing it like more, more melodically in a sense, um, which, which, which I really dig, you know, and, and sometimes what she's doing is very simple, but it, it's also like not, not the standard, not the go-to way of approaching a beat. Um, so, yeah, so I, I definitely kind of dug that as, as, you know, I was watching, you know, the, the little clips of their stuff that they had and um, yeah. And so Zach so- talks about like put her behind the drums and she played like a little caveman. Like it, it's, it's a very, it's pared down and it's simple, but it, it's, it works like in something about, yeah. Yeah. Something about watching them on stage in like the music videos and stuff like, or the live performances, the way that they're in tune, like in sync with each Mm -hmm. other is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I think Meg gets a bad rap because people don't talk about her in like a, this category of like, transcended drummers or greatest of all time or anything like that. And, and I mean, she's not doing peer level stuff, but it, there's an instinct to it. And it, it's, it, nobody drums, like you said, no, there's, there's not really anybody who drums like her. It's very different. It's very specific to that band. And it, it I mean, there's two pieces to that band, right? Like, right. so all like half of the credit goes to her like in terms of like defining that sound so like 
yeah, just, just to watch her. And that's the thing. Like, I think I, I kind of dismissed her as a drummer until I started watching her and how she and Jack would feed off of each other and sync up. And the fact that she, she's almost playing effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like, she's, she's on beat and she, she's following it in, in a way that like, sometimes it looks like she's in her own world, but back there, but it's all working. I, yeah, yeah. It's a weird, sorry, well, <laughs> Jack no, White and, uh, distraction. Yeah. Well, and another thing too, is that like, you know, one of the, one of the things about being a drummer is, is, you know, independence, being able to do different things with different limbs simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's one of the things I kind of saw with her that, that again, made me think like both in, in the way she approaches playing, playing a beat, but also like, a lot of what she does doesn't seem to require a lot of independence because, you know, she's not usually doing three things at once. You know, it's usually like, okay, I'm going to hit, you know, you know, play this rhythm on the floor, Tom, and then I'm going to play the bass and snare, but I'm not going to play the hi-hat at the same time. And then if I'm going to play the hi-hat, I'm going to play just the hi-hat. You know, it's like the way she kind of approaches it, it's, it's almost like, independence isn't a part of it, which is, you know, again, like I said, led me to believe like, Oh, is she, is she actually a trained drummer? Is it just kind of this instinct of like, here are these rhythms I want to make happen. Um, But again, you know, it, it, it works. And it's, it's interesting in that sense that she, because she's approaching, it's almost like she approaches every song with like building a beat from scratch instead of, I feel like most drummers will start with, okay, like I said, eights on the hi-hat snare two and four, and then the bass one and three with some variations. And then you, you go from there, you change and you would laugh, but it's like, she doesn't seem to have that core. It's Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do here? Okay. I'm going to hit hi-hat Tom bass snare. Okay. Let's do that. You know? And it's like, everything is from scratch. It seems like, um, so yeah, so it is, it is kind of interesting in that sense and, and like refreshing, you know, that you're not hearing the, the, the basic, you know, I would love to hear her play jazz because one of my biggest, the reason why I, one of the biggest reasons I don't like jazz is because as a drummer, like that standard swing beat, just being a part of like, that's, that's what lays down this found rhythmic foundation. And, you know, whenever I used to play jazz, so much of it was just that, like, just play the swing beat and it's just mm-hmm. on hi-hat or it's just on ride and it's, you know, hi-hat on your foot on two and four. And it's like, this, this is boring, you know? And it's like, you know, sure. Like I could see why other musicians love jazz because they get to improvise. They get to do all this stuff. And me as the drummer, I'm sitting there going like endlessly for every fucking song, you know, and then maybe I get to do some, you know, some hits and kicks here and there and maybe do a solo. But most of the time I was just bored, you know? See, that's why guys like Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa were such crazy soloists because they finally got to do something. They're yeah. like back there, like the swing thing, and, yeah, and, and just that, let loose. Know? Like, yeah. I mean, th- those guys put together bands and, and did things dynamically with 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 the swing set and, and the the those rhythms. They they put this together. But if you're playing like as a background for here's here's Lab One, where trumpets and saxophones are gonna like virtuoso for forty measures, like boring as shit like yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and you know and i definitely learned it well enough where it's like you know i i done theater gigs where a lot of like those songs will have sort of like this jazz foundation so it's like okay like yeah like i'm i'm you know, i'm getting paid to sit here and lay down this swing beat for this song and i'm the least important thing happening here 
but, but again, like I'm, I'm getting paid for it. Like this is a job. This right. isn't like, Oh, I want to play in a swing band for fun. It's like, right. what? Like I, I never, you know, as a drummer, you know, again, like I get why other instruments like it. Um, and I get why uh, some people who are drummers like jazz. Cause I think it's, you know, it's this very esoteric way of, of thinking about it. And, you know, and I get that. And I guess maybe a lot of it is that, that, oh, the buildup is, you know, 90% of the time you're going to play a swing beat, but then that 10%, you get to go nuts. It's like, like, no, I want to enjoy every fucking minute I'm playing, right. you know? And that's why I like the music I like because I'm enjoying every second of what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but again, to see her play jazz, if she would approach it yeah. from this completely new place, every song, it's not just, okay, this is swing. Okay. This is halftime swing. Okay. This is double time swing. You know, it's like that variation of one idea. Um, I like that idea know. of like her playing instinctually. I think that's like a really good crystallization of how she plays. And it would, ju- yeah. I'd like to hear her play like all these genres. Like it, it's very much. I, I like every time we talk about something weird rhythmically, I always think about the planet of the apes soundtrack mm-hmm. where it's just like, rhythms hitting you in a strange new way because it's all like that's almost what meg is doing is like we've heard four on the floor how many right. times like yeah, yeah. And it's like again simplistic but refreshing yeah so anyway so you're you're starting rigs like oh, that's right uh, okay <laughs> and then we're, we're going to talk about albums sorry i've totally just distracted us from no, what you okay. wanted to talk about but like that's this is okay. This is this is the gear episode. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so okay, so so I, I always like to tell this story. So when I first started playing the drums, it was I was in fifth grade, and it was like that's when school bands started. Yeah. So like my parents did the thing, you know, where you go and and you get the snare drum in the case that you're going to pay your 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 rent to own kind of thing. Yep. And you know, so my parents got that for me. Do you remember the name of the home. music shop? Uh, well, it was from the school. I think someone came to the school, gotcha, like, gotcha, you know, gotcha. so it was like rented through them. Um, and then, you know, started learning on snare drum. And then I think my dad had gone to like a music store. And once he kind of knew how much this one snare drum was going to cost to own it and then found, Oh, I could get an entire drum set for like the same price. <laughs> so, um, and the, the joke is the funny thing I always say is my dad bought me a drum set on oh, his was... birthday. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, and, and what was great. And it's, and it's really funny things too. it. Like it's something I definitely took for granted because I know like other friends of mine who were drummers, like it was just something that they wanted to do. And they almost had to like fight against their family for it, you right. know, but like my dad was a drummer as a kid and this was kind of his opportunity to kind of get back to that. So our drum set was like in the living room. Oh damn! And that's where it started. It was just like right in the, in the living room, off to the side, and it was like, okay, if I if you know if we're gonna play drum set, like nobody's watching TV, nothing's happening. Like we're, <laughs> this we're playing is the drum event. Set. Um, so so that was a really cool thing to just have it be like this centerpiece of the 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 family room, you know. So um, the first one we got it was it was the it was a no name brand, but on the drum head, bass drum head, it had the letters I S a, which I don't know if it's, if it's an actual company or just like whatever, that's what it was. So whenever people are like, what kind of drums do you have? It's an ISA. Like, I don't know what that meant, but I didn't have another answer. There was no like little other label on it. 
Uh, but it was great. I liked it. I liked the sound of it. You know, we had, you know, basic hardware, basic cymbals. I think uh, my uncle is also a drummer, and I think he had let us borrow some cymbals, I think, to kind of, you know, fill our set out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the first set I started learning on. Um, and, you know, my my dad would play, too. So it was kind of neat, like the two of us. So I, I did learn a lot about how to approach, like, rock music, like how to approach the drum set, and how to play a beat, and how to listen to music. Like I learned a lot of that from him because at the time at school, you know, I was in the, 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 you know, the concert band and marching band. So it was all about playing the snare drum and reading rhythm, right. you know, so that's where I learned to read music. And then I learned how to kind of improvise and how to, you know, listen like from my dad and kind of how he, he learned stuff. Um, so eventually I started kind of branching off and, you know, like my own music that I was into. I mean, a lot of the early stuff came from him. So, so a few of the albums that kind of came pretty early on, um, that, that I used to play and these, these kind of came from him. Um, so he was, he was a big classic rock fan. So like Led Zeppelin, like I knew about them, like why from him basically because of the radio station he would listen to, um, and for for a while, I was in uh, Columbia House. I don't know if that's even still around anymore and if everybody anybody knows what that is. But it was this thing you would see in magazines where it's like, you will get, you know, uh, something ridiculous, like six cassette tapes for, <laughs> for one penny. And then all you have to do is buy three more cassette tapes at regular price <laughs> before you end it. And of course, regular price was probably like $20 for a fucking cassette tape. Mm -hmm. But this is how they kind of rope you in because they'll be like, oh, well, this cassette is on sale for $3. So you can buy a $3 cassette, but that doesn't count towards your membership requirement. So that, I mean, it was kind of good in a way because I did, that was kind of how I built my collection more so than going to the stores and buying tapes was like, I could sit there, look through the catalog. Oh, I want this. I want this. I want this. You know, how much allowance money do I have? So I, um, Oh, it's crazy to think that you, your was primarily tapes. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I just realized that because when, when I was growing, like we got, uh, we had Walkman, Mm -hmm. so we had cassette tapes and my parents had a whole bunch of cassette tapes, but it was never something like if I wanted, like we went to Goodwill and I would find them. Right. Mm -hmm. But they got us blank once. And my dad had this big old stereo where you could, take it from a CD or take it from the uh, yeah. uh, um, radio and you can record it. And then that's what, like, that was the mixtape. Like literally I got to make mixtapes, but at that point it was CDs period. And you, you could burn CDs and stuff, but I was working, like I was, I was, it was like a throwback. That was what mm-hmm. I had access to. That's how I understood. And our computer was never great. So that was really cool to kind of like create. And that I, I listened to those a lot on road trips where like compilations I made on cassette. But that it, I that just clicked for me that like your main mode of music was cassette. Mm-hmm. That's fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's a good thing too, because I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit. When, uh, no, uh, no pun intended, when <laughs> things started moving over to CD, you know, as a guitarist, I'm sure it was easy to play along with the CD, but not as a drummer, because the minute you play too hard, like the fucking thing skips and it's just oh, like, oh shit. And I, yeah. always, I always felt like an idiot whenever I was playing because I'd be playing along and I just have to like stop and wait. And then it would, okay, jump back in. Uh, okay. And stop. So, so yeah, like you, you couldn't play along with CDs as, as a drummer. Like, so even when I, when I started moving to CDs and had like a CD player in my boom box, you know, 
Um, that is blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, like because it was enough, like you know, hitting the bass drum would shake. Well, uh, eventually we also moved the drum sets down into the basement. And my dad had a bunch of like pallets to keep the the, the stuff off the the concrete floor because right. it would flood um, when, it, when it rained. You know, it's a so, curse. It's a generational yeah, curse. Water is following. So, so yeah. So like you know, and and I had like a little like TV tray basically that would keep the my boombox on. But yeah, every time you hit it, like those pallets would shake. It would shake the boot, and it would just skip. So, so wow. tapes were definitely the best way. And I mean, this was well before, you know, that you had, you know, I had an iPad where I could download music and like put it in my pocket and listen to it that way. Um, it was always like, you know, and I think my parents didn't want me to wear headphones because I would have to turn it up so loud and have it directly in right. my ears. So it was like, I would have a stereo behind me and I would just like crank it and then try to play over that and still hear what was going on. Um, so yeah, so, so tapes, that was, that was my, my mode. Damn. So, um, one of the, and I think this is, this might've been my, my dad's and I think it might've been a CD. I can't remember, but one of the, one of the, the, the albums I remember playing to was, um, Black Sabbath. Uh, I think it's Paranoid, I think is the name of the album, mm-hmm. uh, that has like, you know, Iron Man and, and War Pigs and all yep. that stuff. Um, so that was, that was an album that worked its way into my rotation and, um, that was, that was the point too, where I realized like, wow, I like Ozzy Osbourne better when he was in a band than him just being like, it's me, Ozzy Osbourne. And these right. are my songs. And it's like, I- I'm sorry, but like, to me, crazy train is just fucking boring. You know? <laughs> but like, but, I, but like listening it's to a killer Sabbath, riff though, like, does it though? I think for the time it, it, but see, it that's was the thing. Like, like it was listen also like to a, Black Sabbath. That's it is, fair. It's fucking incredible. Like, like, so that was the thing is like, I was like, I think it was a crossover hit too. I think that was like mm. a popularized version of Ozzy. I think that's probably why I, I'm defending it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why else I would. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, even, could you name the drummer in Black Sabbath? Cause I, I don't know. Uh, was it, oh, what the fuck? Uh, uh, uh. Was Tony Iommi's in that band? I feel like his uh, shit. I knew it. I gotta look it up now. I'm looking. It's, it's up. on the tip of my tongue. Um, Carmine Appice, I think it is. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. What a name. Uh. Oh, Ronnie James Dio was in this band. At when they were heaven and hell. Um, fuck. Uh, Vinny Members Vinny. personnel. Bill Ward. Uh, so it looks like they may have had different ones. So I'm going to, I'm going to look for, um, original lineup is Bill, Bill Ward, but. Okay. So maybe, yeah, Bill Ward. Okay. So, yeah. So that was the thing too, is this was also, you know, again, we didn't, um, we didn't have the internet, so you couldn't look things like that up. Right. Um, also like this was also the time where when they were making like, CDs and tapes, they wouldn't always reproduce the, the album jacket, like, it was, you know, usually just like you had the album cover and the back and then you open it and there's like nothing. It's just like one little right. sheet. It's real thin. On yeah, greatest so, hits, sometimes you would get like the liner notes to roll out in this really yeah, weird, yeah. long, like, but for the most part, yeah, it was just a flap and yeah, usually so badly was, rendered and badly scaled. So it didn't look great. Like, yeah. So, I mean, like I knew that Ozzy was the singer, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know who the lineup was. Mm -hmm. Um, I just know, like, I, I like playing it, you know? So that was, again, like you put the album in and you play through it. And maybe if there's a song you don't like, you kind of fast forward through it, or maybe you just suck it up and play through it anyway. Um, But that was, that was one of the albums that I would play kind of early on. 
yeah, so I mentioned before, I wanted to do that as kind of like an intro, but like, like, so Zeppelin was a huge part of me learning to play the drums. That was sort of, you know, because um, they were so big and they had, you know, a decent amount of albums. Um, so I, I owned, I think I said this in the movie mumble one, I, I personally owned uh, Zeppelin one, two, and four. Mm-hmm. And I think my dad had uh, three and Houses of the Holy on album. So, so again, like records, you can't play drum set to records. Right. You will, you will fuck them up. You know? yep. So, so I, I never got to play, I think Along maybe, to I think, yeah, like immigrant song, I think is on three. So I never really got to play that. I think maybe one time I was able to record it from, from the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, uh, was it the ocean? I think also might be on houses of the holy. So, mm. So, so it, it did kind of suck. Like I missed out on some of the core Zeppelin stuff because I didn't own them on cassette, you know, so I couldn't play along with them. But uh, I think Zeppelin two, I think I fucking wore that tape out playing mm-hmm. to it. Um, so doesn't four have Moby Dick on it? I think that might be on two. Or is that two? I think that might be two. Because when I think like specifically drums, with mm-hmm. Zeppelin that and the ocean, th- those are the two that come to mind, like, in it, or in levee breaks, right? Like, yeah, that huge echoey, uh, sound. Yeah. Which that was another thing I appreciated about, um, it might get loud. Cause I feel like at one point someone told me that, that they recorded that when they recorded that John Bonham was in like a gymnasium. <laughs> gotcha. And I don't know if that was just like, oh, why is it so big and epo- echoey? And kind of someone kind of made that story. But to hear him be like, no, it was in here and it was in this hallway. And it was just like, oh, like that is not at all a gymnasium. I'm going to trust what Jimmy Page says rather than whatever <laughs> fuckwad told me it was in a gymnasium. <laughs> so I'm looking excited. I did, after I watched that, I went and threw all of Zeppelin's albums into my wish list on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So I always so forget I will, I will how... read them off. I always forget so, how rad the album art for Zeppelin three is. Yeah. Like, especially on vinyl, like mm-hmm. I think parts of it, there's like cutouts and where, what the vinyl, the sleeves, you pull them out and the faces move out. And yeah. There's these gaps. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. So, okay. So Zeppelin one had good times, bad times, babe, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you. You shook me dazed and confused. Your time is going to come black mountainside communication breakdown. I can't quit you, baby. How many more times? What a fucking, so, initial record jesus yeah. christ so so this album i don't think i played as often um so like dazed and confused i like playing that and good times yeah. bad times good times bad times this is this is where i felt like i was starting to make it as a drummer um because this this song has a lot of a lot of stuff going on with the bass drum that a lot of people i think and i remember again i remember hearing this and seeing other people do this where they thought he used a double pedal because you're getting a lot of like these two really fast, you know, uh, like the, the, the later two notes of a triplet on the bass drum. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching someone play it and he was using like either double bass or double pedal, whatever. But like, I remember hearing people say like, no, like John Bonham didn't use a double pedal. That was one foot doing that. Right. And I learned how to do that with one foot. So I could play that song the way he played it, you know, not, not as, as, as cleanly, but it's like to be able to get those. Um, and part of what helps too, is I think he, his left foot is playing eighth notes on the hi-hat while he's playing cowbell with his right hand. Mm. So, so between your feet, you're getting this like, you know, so you get this, you get to play off of your left foot for the triplets. Um, 
But and it's funny too because at the beginning it kind of gets peppered in, and by the last verse he's just fucking wait, and it's just going like almost constantly, and it's just so like playing it is just like you you look sillier and sillier because like you're kind of like you know it's not just like yeah boom boom you know your foot is kind of doing this like this rebound almost you know, um, but that yeah that that for me was like a huge arrival point to be like oh. Like I'm playing this the way he played it, where he had a foot where he can, and I attribute that to the fact that I I had one of the shittiest pedals I've ever seen mm. on one of my drum sets. So one of my drums, oh, okay. So I'm, let me jump back a little. <laughs> so then at another point, I think it was because like I started playing the drums so much that my dad was kind of like part of, probably part of him was like, well, we should each have our own drum set instead of sharing one. So he bought a second drum set and this one was this sort of gray marbleized looking thing. Oh, okay. And I remember my mom, I think she was a OC used to refer cause she really liked, uh, she actually really liked Pearl jam and she liked the song black and she would call it like a, I think she would call it like a black Pearl jam because it had this, this swirly and it was just kind of like her, her kind of, you know, uh, term for it. Yeah. So, so we had those two drum sets and I think, I think basically I kept, See, I can't remember because I play. I remember playing both of them, so I can't remember if if he bought me the new one and it was like, oh, this is yours now, and the original one, you know, or sometimes we would trade off or whatever. I remember at one point, one of them was in my bedroom, so that was kind of one of the things we did, where it was like, oh, this is mine up in my bedroom, so I can mm-hmm. play it up here, and then his was either in the basement or still in the living room. So yeah, they they did get moved around a lot, and I think at some point the two of them were in the ba- in the living room. I mean, in the basement, like facing each other. So like we each had our own drum sets. I don't think we ever did dueling drums. Um, I think sometimes maybe I would like play along with him if he was doing stuff, but he would a lot of times play like the songs he liked. Um, like he, he played a lot of 38 special and I didn't really like that band, uh, but he, he loved it. And it was kind of like cool watching him play it, but it was like, I, I don't like the song enough to learn and play along. I'll just right. let you do it. Um, so yeah. So, so good times, bad times that, that came later on. Um, but yeah, like I think, yeah, Zeppelin two. So this one was definitely the one that I would just put on and play like almost the whole time. It's like whole lot of love. What is and what should never be the lemon song. Thank you. Heartbreaker living, loving mage, just a woman ramble on Moby Dick, bring it on home. Um, Moby Dick. I would try the the solo. It was, it was always <laughs> the best. I would usually stop partway through, but it was, it was fun to be like, how far can I make it where I'm kind of playing along with what he's doing? You know, um, it was crazy. I think I heard it live for the first time on this specific or, and there's also an alternate in one of the re reissues, like the re or, uh, they reproduce, like did a, a modern reproduction, like with, I don't know. What are those called? Digital remaster. They oh, remastered okay. it and they put an alternate Moby Dick with a different solo. Oh, wow. and I remember hearing that it blew my fucking brain open. I was like, wait, wait I, I like i was ready to be hit in the places i knew he hit in that track and it was mm-hmm. just like wait no stop stop <laughs> i can't you're handle this shit you're rewriting my childhood <laughs> um yeah that that is such a sick track also just to go back real quick Dazed and confused in terms of like like isolated symbols and weird space and like that 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 also sounds like it would would have been a whole lot of fun Mm-hmm. Before a whole lot of love, like right, yeah, but like yeah, every track of two well, is insane. Like, yeah. well, and that was the thing too is like I, that was also I think how I was introduced to blues was through Zeppelin. 
Mm-hmm. So the fact that, you know, the way he played blues drum set was, I mean, he was still a rock drummer playing right. blues drums. And that's where I was like, oh yeah, I can, I can dig this. Cause he's still, you know, he's kind of laying down this, this fat, slow beat. But then when it comes time for a fill, he's just fucking ripping it out. You know? and, <laughs> and I think when I was in jazz bands, like in high school, like that's how I used to play jazz and like everybody hated it. And they're like, no, like don't do that. You know? Right. Um, so, so because, play, sorry, age wise, okay. when you're learning from these records, what, where are you at age wise? Um, probably like late middle school, early high school. Okay. Um, yeah. Probably well, at mostly, what point did you nail the, the, uh, the, uh, good times, bad times? Base? That was probably later in, in high school, maybe. Yeah. Because the, Oh, so that was part of the story too. So the third drum set was when I got to high school. Um, actually, this maybe this wasn't until I was in junior year, maybe. But they had this uh, this vintage Slingerland like swirl blue drum set, <laughs> and I think they didn't have like the hardware for it. So at some point, I think they were like, you know, they bought a new drum set, and I was like, well can can i buy that one i bought it for like 150 bucks oh shit and for a while that was like well this is my drum this is the that was the first drum set i bought with my money Mm. so i think for a while that was the one that was in my bedroom and the bass drum pedal was held together with masking tape not even duct tape masking (laughs) tape that's how shitty this thing was and and i just i i just made it work you know i think it was like I wasn't at the point where it was like, oh, I need to buy this fancy bass pedal, you know, the Iron Cobra, blah, blah, blah. It was like whatever fucking pedal <laughs> with came the Cobra, with it, like yeah. molded into the sole of yeah, the pedal. Yeah, it's like whatever pedal came with the drum set, that's the pedal I used. And yeah, and like if I can't make this work, that's my fault, not the pedal's fault. So I've made it fucking work. And I think using that pedal was what got my foot good enough to be able to on a, a regular working pedal mm-hmm. to be able to have that, that speed, you know, cause you do, you do need enough spring so that the, the beater comes back fast enough so you can hit it again for the second time. And this shitty pedal didn't, it like barely came off the head, you know? Gotcha. So, yeah. Um, but like, you know, it, it made me work my muscles enough so that if I had a pedal that, that had some spring to it, you know, I could make my foot move fast enough to make that happen. Um, so, so yeah, so this, a lot of this was probably high school. I feel like maybe in middle school, I was playing drum set a little bit. Maybe, maybe I was trying to play some Zeppelin at that point. Maybe, mm-hmm. I would, um, you know, but I think it was really high school was when I really kind of found like my, my own music and was kind of really starting to, to branch out into that. Um, yeah. So, so Zeppelin three had immigrant songs. So I, I don't think I ever played immigrant song on drum set for that reason, because I could not, you know, it was an album, so I couldn't play along with that. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So there's nothing really, nothing other big on that, that I was like, Oh, okay. So then yeah, Zeppelin four. So that's black dog, rock and roll battle of evermore, stairway to heaven, misty mountain hop, four sticks going to California when the levee breaks. So yeah. So I did get to play with the levee breaks, which isn't as fun when you're not in this big hallway of a mansion right. and your drums don't, you know, your drums don't sound like that, you know? Um, but you know, I would still play it cause it was one of those, the most famous and the standard ones. Um, uh, yeah, even, even stairway to heaven, I would play stairway. I would just fucking sit there for the first, however yeah. many minutes, <laughs> you know, like four, four and a half minutes and wait for that fill to come in, you know, Bonzo um, gets to drink a beer. 
on stage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I think I remember my dad telling me that too. Like, oh, do you know why drummers like this song? If you know they're not playing, I'm like, no, why? It's like, oh, because you get to have a beer while you're waiting. <laughs> <It's> like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so that was oh, and that was another thing too. So, yeah, so so Houses of the Holy, um, that's so that's the one that had uh, Jamaica and Ocean. So mm-hmm. those were two songs that that I didn't get to play for a really long time. I think at some point I do remember playing them because I think at some point I got a book that had the drum charts transcribed mm-hmm. uh, for a bunch of Zeppelin songs, and those two were in there. And I think that was kind of what made me aware of those two songs. It's like, what about these two songs? I want to play these two, and I don't know if either at some point I had like a greatest hits and they were on there, or if I had to like record them off the radio or something like that. Um, but eventually I, I sought out recordings of those two songs so I could mm-hmm. play them. Um, the ocean is great. You know, I, the, because of the, I forget exactly. I think it's like, there's a bar of seven every two bars or something like that. I think it's like a measure of four measure of seven, something like that. I forget exactly <laughs> what it is, but that was, that was what started feeding my, my, my prog rock brain was like, mm-hmm. Ooh, this isn't just one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I like this. I have to think, you know, and, and that was part of it too, is I was always like the, you know, the thinking drummer, you know, um, I, I liked to have to count. I like to be, to be challenged in that sense, you know, not mm-hmm. just, not just my muscles, but my brain. And that's, that's, I, you know, what I found a lot of, I mean, it's good to have a balance of those two things, you know, to have the, the chops, to be able to play the speed and the endurance, but like, I don't want to just play fast all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, however, which brought me to another, another album that I used to play a lot. And this was again, so, so Zeppelin and, and, um, uh, um, was the the other band I mentioned? Uh, Black Sabbath. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Black Sabbath that that kind of came from you know from my dad and from the music he listened to. So when I started branching out my into my own stuff, um, part of what I I, I owned um, a Green Day Dookie, and oh, okay. that was an album <laughs> that 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 was one of the albums where I really that that's I think that's the album that taught me speed mm-hmm. because again like i never really sought out speed i didn't care about playing fast i wanted to play stuff that was like cool and interesting mm-hmm. um and aside from Longview, you know it's like i think almost all the other songs are just like you know or maybe maybe a few others here and there most of them are just like you know balls to the walls you know like it it, it taught me how to do these like really fast burst fills you know instead of something where you're kind of building gradually building and you get you know faster rhythms during the fill but it's not like you know you know you're just kind of like burning around the set you know and it's like okay like i've got to be able to do this i have to both move my my hands fast enough to play the notes but also move my arms to position myself over the next the next drum um which again like even with rush like i mean they they do have some fast fills but there's also always like it's always this cascade you know of like Mm -hmm. the high toms down to the low toms you're always kind of like you know this, 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 yeah, this, the, that's the best way I think to put it, this cascade of, of notes coming down the drums. Um, whereas like, I think that was one of the things with, um, was it Trey cool? Is that the drummer for green day? I do uh, not know. I, think so. I don't know anybody in that band, but Billy okay. Joel Armstrong. <laughs> so, so Big yeah. Joe. So I think, so I think Trey cool was the name of the drummer, you know, he, he had just like a regular four or five piece. So if he had a long fill, a lot of times it was changing back, you know, from the snare to the tom, back to the snare to this tom, back to the snare, you know, so he would kind of zigzag around the set, you know, which is different than just like left to right, low to high. Um, mm. So that was really cool. That kind of added a different dimension to my playing that I, that I really liked. Um, 
also with Longview kind of like playing the toms as the beat, that was sort of a new thing, you know? And again, this, this harkens back to what I was saying about Mick White, where it's like, she wasn't just saying, okay, it's verse, play the hi-hat, bass, and snare, and then, okay, it's bar four, put a fill in here. You know, this was using the toms to create your beat, to create your your rhythm for the for the verses. So I really dug that. Uh, I think that's, you know, what drew me into Green Day originally. Um, so that was another album that I, that I kind of wore out. Um, probably the other big band that I played a lot of their stuff, you know, I'm, I'm kind of saving rush for the last <laughs> was, um, was, was Alice in Chains. And this was another thing that really came to me before when we were talking about, um, uh, it might get loud. So I think for me, Jerry Cantrell is probably my favorite guitarist, you know, because, um, I, I remember a big part of it was like, like listening to it and just being like, Oh, like what, what is he playing? Like he, I remember one of the, the first things I loved about Alice in Chains is the amount of amount of dissonance in their music like it isn't just sort of like okay here's this power chord then this power chord or this chord then this chord like they have these little intricate little riffs that like will they'll they'll purposely recreate this dissonance and and you know and then they'll kind of resolve it so it's not just like well here's a, a c chord and then here's a b chord and whatever it's like one chord after another it's like you know like um uh you know, just the way they'll have these little licks where you're sitting on this, like this crunchy sound, you know, and it's not, and it's not about the distortion. I mean, the distortion adds to it, but it's about the notes they're picking and, and how his solos and, and to be fair, I'm sure plenty of people will say this about other solos with other guitars, but for me, like solos just always seemed like showing off. Whereas with his solos, like I, f- I felt like they were very much a conversation and, like I felt like I could play their solos, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't about like technique. It was about how, how his notes were interacting with the harmony underneath. And, you know, you constantly felt this push and pull of, of, you know, tension and release and dissonance and consonants. And it wasn't just like about like, look how fast my fingers can go. Right. Um, so I love them for that reason. And then, you I know, I just... don't know what effects that dude had. Like I'm thinking man in a box, Junk, junk, oh yeah. Junk. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Like they talk about Van Halen had a brown sound that he got out of a specific combination of a, a phase 90 pedal. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm foreshadowing our discussion later <laughs> with, with a, a Marshall stack and the specific distortion, like brown sound, big kind of like mid hot, like a lot of mid level sounds singing through it. But whatever that guy was putting through, I don't, I don't even know. It's not even grungy. Like grungy has yeah. a lot of like surf rock ish kind of influences in terms of like what they're doing tonally with mm-hmm. guitars. But that guy, I don't know what it is. It's wet. It's wet and sticky mm. like mud. I don't know how he gets that sound. It's crazy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think at had... some point, and, and I know, like, I think he, at some point, I think in man in the box, I think he also uses like the, the talk box maybe, or like a wah pedal. There's a, like, yeah. There's a distortion. That's what I was thinking that there's some wah yeah. in there and there's definitely some talk box elements. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, and, and, and that was one of the things I dug about them too. Yeah. That it was there, there were these sounds that, um, yeah, that I couldn't identify, but then like, and that was part of it too, is when I saw, when I heard them, like when they did their unplugged album, like Mm. so much of the song is still there because even though, like I said, the distortion will help the crunchiness. A lot of that crunchiness comes from the harmony that they're using, Mm. you know, so it's still there, you know, and 
um yeah and like in the vocal harmonies that they use like him and lane staley were just like oh my god like that was something i never really heard before in in that type of music you know i mean i feel like there 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 are plenty of other bands that have you know vocal harmony but but not not so much from like a grunge band you know this really so it's like you have this amazing contrast between like the heavy and the dirtiness of the guitars and then the, the angelic voices above it. It was just like, uh, it was, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the drumming wasn't um, my main focus, but it was still enough to be like, yeah, like I, I think my drive for learning those songs, like I want to learn the drum parts so that I can cover these songs with my bands. Right. You know, right. like that was the drive. So it's like, um, and with that one, it was mostly um, I think dirt was my go-to for, for them because uh, uh, facelift, like yes, Man in the Box was great, but I, I I don't love too many songs on that album. But like with Dirt, Dirt is just it's fucking perfect start to finish. Um, Jar of Flies is also perfect, but it's it's way more mellow. So there's like mm-hmm. less for me to do there. Um, so yeah, Dirt, I think I definitely played the hell out of that album. Also, I guess to be fair, within the realm of of, of grunge and and you know alternative, like um, when I was in I think it was actually when I was in eighth grade, I think was when Nirvana Nevermind came out. Hmm. So maybe, yeah, there's maybe this jumping back a little bit, maybe more middle school. That was maybe like, uh, that was probably one of my first albums. I think that I broke into like, that was kind of my pick, you know? Um, so that, that album I, I played a lot. Um, I don't think I played some of it right because I think this was another thing too, is like, not realizing that, you know, different drummers, drums will sound different. So like in the way they're mixed and everything. So like you're hearing, I'm hearing something that's a bass drum, but it's got so much boom and punch to it that I think it's a floor tom. So like, you know, mm-hmm. I would, you know, play like the the opening fill to, you know, smells like teen spirit. I had so much trouble figuring out how to do that because I think, I think it's just like bass and snare with some hi-hat, you know, but because the bass was, had so much presence and so much, you know, violence to it. I was like, this must be Tom's or something, Mm. you know? So it took me forever to kind of realize, Oh no, this is what he's doing. My drums just don't sound like his drums. Um, But, uh, and actually that was another thing too. One of my other favorite guitar solos is in smells like teen spirit because he's just playing the melody on guitar. And I was like, perfect. Like that's, (laughs) that's what a guitar solo should be is, you know, it's like, it's, you're, you're adding some variation to this, to the verse, you know? And, um, and I, you know, I, so uh, yeah, I loved it. It was like, that's, that's perfect. You know, this is, you know, uh, to me, it, it seemed so much more about the song and about the music as opposed to let's focus on what a good guitar player Kurt Cobain is, you know, it's like, no, this is just, this is the natural progression of events. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so, so many songs on that album I used to play. Um, I think I want to say lithium was probably my favorite song on that album. I think it was lithium. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, I remember that being, I remember being in middle school and talking about that album with people. So that was, that was how long ago that came out. So that's what, like early nineties, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think sense. so. Yeah. I think I started high school, I think in 92. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah. And, th- and there were other, other things here and there. Um, I think, I think I used to play 311 a little bit, uh, the, the self-titled album, um, not a whole lot. Cause I feel like by that point, like I definitely loved listening to that album, but I almost feel like I, I didn't, um, maybe I wasn't playing drum set it much as much at that point. 
Um, but that's definitely like stylistically music that influenced me. I definitely learned some of their songs on guitar because one of the bands I was in later on, I think after college, um, where I actually played guitar, like we did a few 311 songs. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of neat to revisit this music that I liked back when I was learning drums and being like, no, I'm going to learn the guitar part. And, and I think, uh, that was kind of the intent too, with some Alice in Chains. I think we never really pulled it off, but I started learning Alice in Chains songs on guitar with the intent of, oh, now I can play the guitar for these. Um, me and my cousin will play Don't Follow just for fun mm -hmm. whenever we're together. So that's just a great <laughs> song. And the harmony's great and the chords are great, you know, and it's like, yeah, so that's always fun. And he's so nice too, because he's, he's such a better singer than me, but he will, and maybe this is why, because probably because he doesn't want to ruin his voice, but he will do like the Jerry Cantrell parts. And then like at the uh. end, and I will do the Lane Staley, like screamy stuff <laughs> at the end, and, which is, which is fun. And I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's easy because it's like, I'm not taking it too seriously. And I'm just trying to mimic all the, like the growling and the rasp that he's doing. So it's like, I'll do that stuff, you know, which is, which are the lead vocal parts. And he'll right. do the, you know, the, the backing vocals because yeah, he gets to actually just use a nice voice and kind of <laughs> sing a little home in the background. And I'm like, yeah, just like screaming. <laughs> Everyone's like, all right. Okay. Yeah. We get it. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, flashbacks to the corn <laughs> performance. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a, yeah. I used to play some corn on drum set. I think that was more in college though. So that was like, more kind of after the fact, after I kind of like felt like I probably peaked as a drummer. And I think when I was in college, there was a period where I hadn't played drum set, maybe the first, like maybe for like four years. And then I actually did a fifth year for my undergrad. Um, but uh, I think during that fifth year, I think I brought my drum set from my parents' house to my house, which, Oh, which by the way, that was. Is that four or five? Okay. So, so I have to back up a little bit. So the third drum set was the one I bought for my high school. Yep. And then I think at some point we took the black set and the, the, the gray, the Pearl jam set and put them together to make one big monster oh, shit. Like, double bass set. <laughs> so that was how that was set up for a while. Um, and then at some point, I think maybe like I was doing gigs or something. So I needed to take one and I was like, Oh, you know, so at some point my dad bought like, a and i forget if it was actually like one, one drum set that was double bass or i feel like he almost set it up where it was like oh you know uh, maybe it was like cheaper to buy two different drum sets and put them together but he ended up with like his own double bass drum set which is essentially at like so so like it had like the four mounted toms two floor toms oh damn uh, yeah so and and which that one i didn't like that one i didn't really like all that much because it was it was a pearl mm. um and I remember it being like, oh, Pearl, like that was the big name. And I was just like, I, I don't like the sound of these drums, you know? And, um, and I actually preferred like our older drum set. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, so I would use those, um, still. And then when I was in college, I think towards the end of college was when I was like, okay, like I'm about to graduate with a degree in music. Like I should, you know, have a good drum set if I'm going to be, you know, doing this as part of my career. So that's when I bought my, um, so I bought, it was a Tama Star Classic Performer, I believe, which at the time was like second to top of the line. Mm. And of course I used my guitar setter credit card. So it was like, no, it's just for you. <laughs> and I think I bought an extra floor Tom for it because I think it was one of those. And this is a thing I loved about it too. I always had trouble with my floor Toms. And I think, you know, a lot of what I realized there, or someone told me at one time is because they're physically sitting on the floor. Like the other two are mounted on the top. They have some wiggle room. The floor Tom is just locked on a solid floor. 
Right. So this set, its floor tom was actually mounted. You would mount it onto a cymbal stand. Oh, okay. So, so that those three toms all had the same timbre. It wasn't like, you know, this nice resident bouncy tom and then <laughs> this, this tom that's not going anywhere. But then I bought a floor tom aside that. Cause I think the, the yeah, it was like a, I think it was like 12, 13 and a 14 inch like mounted floor tom. But then I also bought a 16 inch floor tom besides uh, okay. that. And I also got a piccolo snare. And by this point, oh yeah, my dad at one point bought us a set of roto toms. So like, so this was sort of me putting together my, my dream Neil Peart drum set where it had like <laughs> three roto toms. I think for a while I had my piccolo snare with the snares off mounted as like a fourth roto tom mm-hmm. and then going into my two mounted toms and then my, you know, two floor toms. So, um, and then were you, you weren't playing stock symbols at this point. What, what did you do symbol wise? Uh, uh, so I think I had, I want to say there was Zildjian A customs. I think were most of the, most of the symbols I liked. Cause part yeah, of what I really symbols. liked. Yeah. Part of what I, what I really liked was the, my drums were very like, like fat and heavy, but also punchy. Mm-hmm. And so you wanted something with a like, yeah, well, so I wanted gonna... something to contrast that, like the oh, okay. so, like I feel, I think it was like the Zildjian. I think Z's or K's are the ones that are known for being darker symbols. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want that. I wanted I wanted A's. bright yeah. symbol symbols to contrast my my dark heavy. So um, and I, I I will say I wasn't happy with my ride. My ride it was I think it was a twenty two inch ride, which I found out soon after. It's it's too big, like it it got too heavy, and it would it would it would actually build like this, this resonance from playing it for too long. Like you want your ride to kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's an op- more open sound than your hi-hat, but like, you don't want it to be just like, like it's a crash, which is building and building. Right. And the bell, I, I never liked the bell. It didn't have enough ping for me. Like mm-hmm. I wanted this nice, you know, I wanted like a nice ding for the, for the ride and a ping for the, for the bell. And it was more like a, like that's what my ride was it was like it had no definition um so so that was the the one piece that i kind of regret that i was always on the lookout for okay someday i'm going to get a new ride it's going to be a 20 inch and i might even get like a ping ride because that's the whole point is that i think the the you know the the, that and the bell like you get this nice definition so that was the one piece i was going to to change after the fact um but uh yeah so that was um and that was also fun to do too, because by this point I had been playing Rush on like, well, first of all, just on a five piece. So kind of making it work with those, those, just the three toms. But then, like I said, when my dad kind of put the two together, it's like, oh my God, I have six toms now. I have the, you know, <laughs> I have the, I could, I could do the whole thing, you know, and the double bass, you know? Um, so, so that was, that kind of came, I think a little later in my, my Rush um, yeah. And I, I'm also just kind of throwing rush in there. Cause I feel like I've talked about rush before and, and mm-hmm. in terms of that. So it's like, by, by now it's obvious that I've, I, you know, I learned a lot of rush stuff, but, um, I guess, in, oh, I, maybe I should at least mention the album. So one of my favorite albums, oddly enough is caress of steel, which I feel like that was one of the ones that got the worst reviews and it it's was pretty the one, early, right isn't before. It? Yeah. I think it's right before 2112. And that was the one where, I think that was where, yeah, after that one, you know, the managers were like, you got to be more standard. And they're like, no, fuck you. We're going to do another concept album. And then 2112 was like their big breakout thing. Um, Whereas I feel like with, you know, with like Fly By Night, I think there was more, you know, there were more radio friendly songs on that, like Fly By Night. Um, There's a few others on there. Um, But Caress of Steel is five tracks. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, that's yeah, that's the thing, they have, I think like they have the Necromancer, which is like a like a three movement piece. They have the Fountain of Lemneth, which is I think is like a bunch of movements. Which at the time I didn't realize because on my cassette tape that track was so long that they they broke it up. Oh, it was, it was like it would flip ha- on the other side. Yeah, but it was also like the way it was labeled. It just had the the, the movement names. It didn't say like, oh, this is the Fountain of ne- Lemneth Part One. So like that was also this really eclectic album to me because like. You know, on one side you have this this one song that has you know, you know whatever, and then these other weird things. And on the other side, you have this other song that kind of has some similarities to the first song that was on. You know, so it was just like, I don't know, it was it was really cool. Like I I loved it. I think there was also a reference to Bytor and the Snow Dog from uh, from Fly By Night, which I think was one of their I think maybe their first like kind of big epic concept songs. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I loved it. I I I just thought. I, to this day, I think it's great. You know, a lot of people don't as much. Um, so I used to play that all the time. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the standards, like, you know, uh, Permanent Waves, I played that a lot. Moving Pictures, I played that a lot. Um, tried to, eventually got to the point where I'm like, okay, this will pass, you know. Um, uh, signals, I used to play mostly because of subdivisions. Like, that's a really fun song to play. Like, if I ever, if I ever like, do have a kid someday and my kid wants to play the drums, um, I think I'm going to start, you know, he or her with subdivisions because I feel like it's definitely one of the more attainable, but also well-known. Like they probably have mm-hmm. some easier songs, but they're probably like, you know, off fly by night. And it's like, who, who kind of really is interested in that. Mm-hmm. But like, as far as like, I think that that was one of the easiest songs to play that's, that's on the radio. Gotcha. Um, so that was kind of a, a nice coming home point. Like, Oh, this is easy. Um, I remember when I was learning Tom Sawyer, that was when I first started notating my own music, like listening to it and writing out the rhythms he was playing so that mm. I could go back and learn it um, instead of just trying to remember it by ear. Cause like, you know, you can get the gist, but like where he's placing the bass drum is so specific and so different each measure that like me just trying to memorize that, you know, was driving me nuts. So it's like, mm. if I can write this out, I can read the rhythm and play the rhythm on the bass drum. I could even practice it without listening to the recording and get it exactly right. And then play it with the recording. So that was, I think one of the first times I started doing my own music notation, you know, um, I, you know, again, I wasn't writing it because it wasn't my music, but that was one of the gateways into like being a composer and being able to like notate stuff by hand. Um, you know, no, knowing how to arrange music, st- you know, drum set notation on the staff. So you have like, you know, the hi-hat on top snare and mm. the bass on the bottom, that whole thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, getting me that point, which, which also made me realize, I mean, I didn't realize it in the, this many words, but, um, that I was more of a visual learner than an auditory learner that, you know, when I memorize music, I don't memorize the way music sounds and then reproduce that sound. I memorize what the page looks like. And then I read that music in my mind. Weird. And that's how, that's yeah. cool. At least at first. I mean, eventually it gets to the point where it becomes instinctive and then it's like, yeah, this is how this sounds and I know where it goes. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, it would, it would drive me nuts trying to memorize how to play that song just by listening to it. it was once I wrote it out, it's like, oh, that's what that is. Okay, I'll do that. That and seems then, like I mean, really like a match made in heaven for composing. Yeah. Like that seems like the the way you your brain would have to be organized to be able to compose on that kind of a scale is like visualizing yeah, like, the po- parts and then how mm-hmm. they fit together. That's that's yeah. awesome. Like like yeah, like you you have to visualize music outside of time, you know. 
Um, like normally, you know, when you're, when you're listening to music, it's, it's within time, you know, start to finish, top to bottom, left to right kind of thing. And even when you're playing it, I mean, you know, uh, again, it takes so long to break young musicians out of the habit of, okay, when you're practicing a piece of music, don't just start at the beginning and play till you mess up and go back to the beginning and start again, like play the pieces that you're struggling with, you know? And I feel like that's, that's how you kind of understand a piece of music inside and out is, is breaking out out of time, you know, and again, as a composer, it's like, you know, for measure one, you feel like, well, I have to know where I'm going in the end. I'm not composing measure one in a vacuum. You know, it's, it's all about where is this going? What is the journey I'm taking? Um, you know, sometimes it'll take me like a month before I put a note on the page because I'm just picturing what's going to happen kind of in my head and how things are going to play out and how something that might happen at the beginning will then grow to something bigger later on and how that's going to match up, you know, like, um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely, I think one of the things looking back that, that really distinguished, it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not like other drummers where it's like, you know, like, you know, like Nick Cannon on drumline where he can hear a cadence <laughs> once then he can reproduce it from memory, but put sheet music in front of him and he pisses himself. You know, it's like, I was, I was the opposite of that. Like, you know, I can, I can read music, but I can't. And, and again, eventually the more I get to know a song, like, yes, I can memorize something by ear but I don't have that sort of like instant recollection. Like, Oh, I heard this thing once I can reproduce it, you know, but it's like, um, but yeah, definitely, you know, when I'm, when I'm playing something, you know, and when I'm, when I'm, when I'm playing something that I've memorized, like that's kind of what I'm doing is I'm picturing, okay, this is what this music does. And I'm, I'm playing that, you know? Um, See, that seems like a good segue into like me with guitar and learning, um, here at the last 15 minutes of the hour of the first. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, whereas I, I'm definitely more like Nick Cannon's character. Also, Nick Cannon mm-hmm. doesn't have fucking rhythm. He didn't play any of that shit. CGI, <laughs> fuck Nick Cannon. And you can quote me. Um, <laughs> Told your dad, Nick Cannon is hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was definitely more like I played saxophone from middle school through high school, right? So that that was the thing where I was reading music, but for I I couldn't uh, sight read, and also like a lot of it was once I knew what it sounded like, I knew like I could read the notes, but I wasn't great with like following the rhythms as they were written out. If I could hear the rhythm, I could recreate it, mm-hmm. and that is as I started doing guitar, it was nothing was notated and it was a lot of by ear and the stuff that I was listening to. I mean, I was also like, as I was learning, a lot of it was by ear. A lot of me being teaching myself to play. It was by ear. And then tab was readily available. Even when I had a shitty printer and dial up, like you could get tab. And once I understood how to read tab, I didn't like do specific notate. I, a lot of me pulling tab is like, chords just give me the chords i can figure out the rhythms mm-hmm. yeah if, and just play rhythm stuff and not really worried about interludes or in, any of like the the real like picky stuff or like the the tone right. for tone that kind of melodic stuff yeah. it's just if, like if you got the chords people are going to recognize what that right. song is yeah and that's kind of i really haven't progressed further than that really honestly like and like i think i talked about it before like when as i was learning guitar and still i feel like I, I, I savor little stylistic things or little chords that I didn't know about before. And I build a lot of like what I, and a lot of it was like an avenue to writing or to improvisation. Like that, that was a whole lot of us. Okay. I can play enough to get to the solo section and then I can do whatever the fuck I want. 
that that it's a very different mindset to what you were doing. And with, I mean, I would make my CDs skip because I was bouncing around and shit playing guitar. It wasn't because it was necessary to playing the guitar. Um, so but if I playing ACDC and that's how you have to play ACDC. Well, that's, that's exactly, <laughs> I mean, that's a good link. Um, the, the stuff that I was playing along to and learning was, and it was, it's not the overly complicated. I wasn't playing back in black. I, or the, did it, the, the, the lick of black and mm-hmm. black. I, I still can't play. Like I just haven't devoted the time to do it, but I was like, you give me dirty deeds done dirt cheap. You give me like bond Scott, level acdc just just power chords and 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 a chord for fucking i'll I'll strum that all day long um the live wire album i played a lot of along with that a lot i wasn't doing any of the really melodic things but i guess let me look because the great thing about acdc was simplicity and once you figure out the root note, you could fucking blues scale up and down and up and down and up and down the whole time and everything sounded gravy like and that was the thing it was it was an easy avenue to to feeling like a rock star feeling like the center of attention feeling like you were running the show so when like livewire specifically was a song that i really liked and it's it's a there's a lot of bass in it like it it's very very basic very easy um that's their first album is high voltage at least the first album that they released in this, the States. Mm-hmm. And it was, so TNT is on that album. She's got balls is on the album, uh, rock and roll singer. The Jack is, is its own thing. Jack, the Jack is just like sex blues. And it's about a venereal disease. It's about <laughs> chlamydia. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it, it's really easy. It's down, 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 down. It's just a very basic blues progression. And on the live albums, when they would play it, that was one of the songs where Angus would do his striptease. So if you got, I got live at Donington, and that song is like 20 minutes long because at a certain point he stops playing guitar and starts stripping. That's a great in for me to just play my little shitty blues scale up and down pentatonic and and feel like a rock star. And, And so... Those early albums, like early ACDC stuff, the Highway to Hell album, like Girls Got Rhythm, Touch Too Much, all of these shot down in flight. Like these are all great fucking albums and, and really basic. And, and again, you find the root note. They don't ever modulate. They don't go anywhere crazy. You could play up and down the whole time. And then when you would try to get, like, it's not that Angus is a bad guitarist or anything because he plays some really crazy licks, stuff I still don't, I haven't figured out how to do like, what is it? Um, Beating around the bush has just this crazy lick to start it. It's just, it's a huge intro, but I could always be Malcolm. Malcolm's just playing the, the, the uh, power chords behind. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the solo and you, you just play over Angus, which is sacrilege. I know, but yeah, with either my shitty PV amp, and then I got a, a Fender Frontman 25-watt uh, solid-state amp, which I really love. I still have that amp. I haven't bought another one because I've never lived in a place where I could really crank anything crazy big. Um, but playing along with those records, and it was stuff that my dad liked, so he didn't have a problem with me making a whole bunch of fucking noise playing along with them. 
Um, at one point, and it's it just like by ear, like f- finding where the, ch- the changes are and then just kind of recreating the strumming pattern based on what you're hearing. That That's a lot of how I learned. Mm-hmm. And then starting to learn like little licks and stuff. Like I learned uh, Voodoo Child's lick. Um, there's an, uh, the int- intro to uh, Foxy Lady. Like not doing any of Hendrix's like really crazy soloing or the chord structures or anything but just these really cool licks that you can pop out in guitar center and not sound like an asshole i mean you sound like an asshole but at least it's something that's like recognizable and fun and like Mm -hmm. attitude wise and i think that's a lot of where it was like between listening playing by ear and then trying to figure out like an attitude for a song acdc is great for that because it's just it's very specific and it's very like it's not difficult to get into and then I think I figured out on uh, Ted Nugent's uh, Double Live Gonzo, he has a, a track that he does, Great White Buffalo. And at one point I was just like goofing off. And that's the thing, a lot, a lot of it was, after I was playing along with things, I would just goof off and find things. It was like, oh, that, that kind of sounds like, uh, uh, what is it, Hall of the Mountain King. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I can play that now and I can put it in on this string and it sounds like this and I can like, modulated and incorporated but at one point i was messing around and i found the opening lick to great white buffalo and then i looked it up i was like oh i'm i'm doing that right and here are the chords and now i can play great white buffalo like it was really cool not so much record wise it was much more like tracked and i think that's just like a generational thing as we got more itunes and Spotify. like i bought albums and i listened to albums like i i still really believe in that model for listening to music because that's how they design them but a lot of it was like, well, I like this, I'll listen to this. A lot of mixtaping of those kinds of things. So it's not as long a journey. That's why I kind of wanted to jump in here real quick and just kind of spread it out where it was basically ACDC. Like that, that's the, the short and long of it was that. And what a great way to, with that instrument, right? You, you don't need pedals. And, and again, foreshadowing <laughs> to, to get that crunch, like any amp that's got distortion on it, you put that at 10 and you're, you're in the ballpark, right? Like there's nothing yeah. more, there's some more sophistication to it. Really. If you like do a rigged rundown and see what they're playing through, but you could, you could sound pretty badass in your high school uh, <laughs> bedroom with a, a tiny shitty amp and some, uh, 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 decent speakers listening to ACDC play. So that that was my kind of how I learned to play. And like, it's all ACDC stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I remember, because again, Aerosmith is my favorite band. And I remember trying to play that stuff. And it was like, it's the total, it's total opposite because mm-hmm. there's two guitarists in that band and they're both phenomenal. And what they're doing is crazy like they they they're very much more advanced it's not basic at all and you can get like you could do the walk this way riff or you could do the intro to seasons of wither but after that it was like i i I, what my brain hurts like i couldn't i couldn't push i'm not the thinking man's guitarist at all i just want to hit shit and make it like make it make it sound like acdc so yeah no that's that's well, I mean, and as I was thinking about it too, like I do have some input in terms of like guitar effects and pedals and stuff like that too. So it is, I don't think it'll be completely one-sided. <laughs> Were there other uh, seminal albums in your development? 
Um, this is a sad topic because I, I always knew I was more garbage than you musically. Now I'm, I have the receipts. No, no, it, <laughs> the receipts. No, it's, and, and that's the thing is, it's not, it's not, um, I don't know. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not about that, you know, and it's you not also, about You went like, to school for it. it. It's also like, we both enjoy it. We access it different ways. Yeah. We both get joy out of it. And we both like, I think we, we could do a band together. It would be fun. You would yeah. have to give me a little bit of grace to figure out what the fuck you're working on. But well, other than and, that, like, yeah. And that's part of it too, is like, it's not, uh, I, I, I think, you know, when, when that's part of it too, is like when I was growing up, like a lot of the bands I was in were, were cover bands, you know? Yeah. And, and it was always, you know, it was a lot of it time based on like, okay, like what, what songs can you guys learn? I guess I'll have to just play the drums. To this, you know, um, <laughs> And that's the thing, like, like my, my, like, I think I said before, my cousin and I, we were in almost every band together and we just, like, he played bass and, and you know, saying occasionally, like, every now and then we would find, like, another singer, but, like, it was always just floating through guitarists, you know, and, and that's kind of a lot of what it came down to is, like, we had a lot of stuff that we could play together and then it was a matter of, like, okay, well, what does this guitarist know? What can, what can this guitarist play, you know, and, um, and it was, it was, it was a long time before I got to play Rush in a band. And I think mm. the, I think the first song we actually, I actually got to play was Limelight. I think that's um, a big learning curve. Like that, everybody has to be decent in the band. Like you, there, there's yeah. no slouches if you're playing Rush stuff. That's, yeah. um, and you know, and that's and that's one of the things I learned too. Is a lot of times what made it difficult was like the solo, you know. Mm-hmm. But other times it was, yeah, it was the meter changes, you know. And I think to some degree there were times where it's like, okay. I know there's something going on here meter wise, but as long as I just play the right notes in the right time, it's fine. I don't have to know that we're switching from seven to six to eight or whatever, you know, like, right. um, and I think limelight, I think, you know, had a few meter changes, but they were very like organic. So it was kind of easier to just kind of like, you know, okay, we're in this groove. Now we're in a completely different groove, but gotcha. it's still a groove. And as long as you know that groove, you don't have to know that we've switched from four to three or whatever, you know, it's like, right. it's, it's fine, you know, just play it. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so that was, that was sort of a big part of it was like a lot of the stuff I, I, I learned on the drum set. I never really got to play in bands. Um, but then it's like, okay, well now let's, let's do some originals. And that was always something where everyone kind of got to just bring to the table what they had to bring to the table mm-hmm. and, and you kind of made it work. You made it gel. And, and that was like a really different experience too, because you didn't have to worry about like, well, what is this song supposed to sound like? Right. You know, it's There's like, no getting it right. Right. It's just, it is what it is. And, you know, as long as everyone's kind of enjoying it and having fun with it, you know? So, so I really appreciated that later on. Like it definitely did morph a lot to, you know, the bands I played in was like, you know, doing originals and writing our own stuff. And a lot of my bands were also very short lived. I think it's because, you know, it, it, they, they came about like later in life where it's like, well, we all have jobs or we're in college and we have, you know, exams. And it was like, you know, we would kind of try to squeeze in doing the band thing, but like, you know, at least for me, I, I was getting tired by that point. It's like, I don't want to lug my drum set all over the mm-hmm. place. You know, it's like, you definitely have to start that when you're in your physical prime so that you kind of condition yourself that, yeah, like moving my drum set's no big deal. And I like doing it, you know? Right. Um, was for me, I remember thinking that like as a, as a drummer and percussionist, it's like, I'm getting paid to move my shit. Like I will play for free. I would do this gig for free if someone moved all my <laughs> shit for me and I just had to show up, play and go home. Um, 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think later on too, like I did get into other prog rock stuff. Like one of the notes I had, like, you know, I started playing some tool and some primus. Um, um, and, and, and I, I, I like those bands and I really like, you know, their, their drummers, but like, and I think, yeah, when we had said, Oh no, no, that's right. We said if we were going to do our, our, our version of it might get loud. And I said, I would want to do it with, with drummers. But what I would do is, yeah, it would be Tim Alexander Lars. from, yeah, Tim Alexander from Primus, Danny Carey from Tool, and Lars Ulrich. So he would have to be like, oh man, these guys are great. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> um, now you've called him out on two podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do uh, at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I dare it's you. The Tim Gerard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, one of the, uh, um, the other bands, sort of, this is, sorry, I guess just the, the, the sort of coda to it was, um, later on I had gotten into, uh, dream theater and I was kind of always aware of them. And, um, but I got a little bit more into playing them because they were kind of like the, you know, I feel like where, where Rush was like progressive rock, they were more, and I think they, this was kind of self-appointed. They were more like progressive metal, you know, oh, okay. and, and not, you know, and there's definitely heavier bands than them, but, but they definitely had more of that edge and more, uh, you know, more, more aggression. Um, but they were also like a lot more intricate than Rush at times. And I think, you know, for me, it definitely like, it was cool to explore that, but it's like, yeah, I don't like these guys because they're more complex than Rush. Like it's, it's almost too much, you know, and it kind of right. helped me to kind of uh, dial it back and appreciate Rush more. Um, and it was, it was definitely like a challenge, you know, after kind of getting to a point and, and, and not like I can play Rush's stuff perfectly either, even to this day, you know, um, I feel like as I get older and understand music better, I, I sometimes like, I can't wait to go back and try to play it again because I feel like I'll approach it differently mm-hmm. and be able to do things like, uh, uh, like, like counting, you know, because it was, it was so long before I had a private teacher, and this is something that I always used to approach when I was a teacher. It's like I made my students count all the time out loud because no one ever told me to count. And I was like, if someone told me to count out loud, I'd be such a better drummer than I am right now. But, um, you know, a lot of times, yeah, it's like I'm kind of navigating my way through these things by feel. And it ends up being like hit or miss, you know, like mm-hmm. sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. And and that's why it like drives me up a wall whenever people like, oh, you know, you don't count it. Music is an art. You're supposed to feel it. And it's like, you're probably terrible. You know, it's like, you know, and, and, and not speaking to all musicians, but like, I guess drummers specifically, because drummer drumming is so much about timing. And, and, you know, as a young drummer, it's like, oh, I want to do this crazy fill. Well, I know I can play fast. So I'm just going to cram as many notes in this span of time as I can. But I was approaching it like cram a bunch of notes into two seconds, as opposed to play 30 second notes for two beats, you know? And if you, if you think of it that way, and if you count it that way, you're going to execute that fill every time exactly right. right because you're counting and because you're thinking as opposed to just, I'm going to move my hands as fast as possible and move them across the toms. And, you know, I'll probably hit the rims a bunch of time, but whatever I do play will be really fast. And maybe I'll hit beat one with the crash <laughs> with everybody else, you know, like, like that's how I'd approach it. Cause like no one told me otherwise, no one, no one kind of forced me to have that discipline of like, stop and count it, like figure out what the rhythm is you're playing and count it and figure out what, you know, what, I know you're playing fast, but what types of notes are they 16th note sextuplets? Is it, is it 32nd notes? Are they septuplets? Are you doing seven notes per beat? Like, what is it you're doing? And then figure it out and count it and do it that way every time. And I would have been such a better drummer and I would have been able to learn some of this music so, so much quicker, you know? Um, and then, you know, the same way it helped to look at the notation of what I was playing and to play that back, you know, um, even if I didn't have it written out, 
if I at least stop to think about what it is, what I'm hearing, how many notes I'm hearing and how many beats, and then doing that every time, you know, instead of it just like, here's this rhythm and now play really fast, you know, for a couple beats and hopefully just pray that you land in the right spot, you know? <laughs> um, and it's just like, fuck, like what, why didn't anyone point that out to me? You know, like maybe all my, the people I was in a band with were too nice to be like, Hey man, like your fills right. are different <laughs> lengths every time, like get your shit together. You know? Well, it's also like, you don't want to piss off the drummer because drummers are always in short supply. Like every, every, there's a million bands. There are a finite number of drummers. Mm, Like, I feel like every drummer I've ever known at one point has been in like three groups. Like it's like whichever one is is touring and going to make the money. That's the one that I'll go with, but I've got these other ones because everybody needs a drummer. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and the fact that you're doing fills and stuff, I, I imagine there was a lot of just like impressed, like he'll get back on it. It's fine. <laughs> like, right. we'll, we'll just, we'll keep going. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm, uh, I'm just so in awe of drummers executing better than I can. That's, that's the low bar that it takes to impress <laughs> me as a, a percussionist. Just, just fucking, if you could do it better than me and, and you're doing, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's what I'm saying is like, I mean, it could be argued that what I was doing was not better because if I was uh, throwing off the time because I wasn't gotcha. focused on like my timing and my rhythm and, you know, and, you know, again, being, being consistent with right. the rhythms I'm playing against the beat, you know, that is supposed to stay steady. You know, it was more like, I feel like I realized later on, I more thought about it. Yeah. Like I'm going to play as fast as possible for, I guess this is about a second and a half, you know, not that I would think of it in terms of seconds, but that's, that's kind of, you know, I was looking at it like it was this variable length of time, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's exactly this many beats long based on what the tempo is. And, and, right. and so this is how much time you have. And this is how, you know, this is how we, 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 we fit faster notes into the same space is by kind of deciding what that ratio is. And, you know, um, so, so anyway, like, yeah, like I, I can't wait to play drum set again and be able to think of it that way, like a more mature musician and approach it that way and be like, wow, this is so much easier when I actually, you know, think of what these rhythms are, you know, and, um, and, you know, and, and it's different too. Like, I, I think a lot of it also did have to do with the drums being so loud. Every time I would do a fill, I couldn't hear what was going on. So I would like, just kind of hope I would end up on, on, on the other side. Um, whereas like, you know, maybe for guitar where, you know, there wasn't that degree of improvisation. It was kind of like, okay, you're playing the lick and you're playing the lick and you're playing the lick. I think I had an easier time with guitar because of that, you know, because, and it was also not as loud. So I could hear what I was playing with and stay in time with it. Um, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't about counting and staying in time. It was about mimicking what I was listening to, you know, um, which is, you know, kind of at that point, the only way I knew, like, I, I also didn't, I never had a guitar teacher, you know, I had never had someone to say like, oh no, these are the rhythms you're playing, you know? And yeah, kind of like what you were saying, like I would learn chords and be like, yeah, I kind of know what the strumming pattern is. And I used to have a hell of a time when I was, I started teaching guitar, like beginning guitar. Cause it's like, yeah, I can teach kids how to play chords, where to put your fingers, how to strum, you know, um, again, all the stuff that I wish someone taught me that would have made me better. You know, I taught my students how to count, how to read a rhythm, you know? Right. And, and it was, it was always tough. Cause I would tell them like, well, this is what the, the rhythm is. But like, when you're learning a song, you just, you know, just make up whatever you do, whatever you want for the strumming and just listen to it and see if it feels, you know, I try to give them that other half of it. Like if you're doing, working on your lesson stuff, it's regimented because you're trying to learn things you don't already know. If you're just going to play your own stuff, just, 
just play your own stuff. Go, go nuts with it. Have fun with it. These are, you know, I'm trying to teach you these chords so that if you pull out your favorite song and it has those chords, you can play it. But you know, if it's your favorite song, you know what the strumming pattern is probably you've heard it, you know, not everyone can hear a song go, Oh, this, this is the chord progression, but like you can hear the rhythm, the guitars play, you know? So just mimic that. And, and, and some of them would just be like deer in the headlights. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, and part of me almost want to be like, why do you want to play guitar? Like right. if, if, if you, if you're not listening to this thing, going, I wish I could play that. And I'm telling you that half of it, you could do on your own and I'm giving you the other half. This is where to put the fingers of your left hand, but your right hand, just, just mimic what you're hearing. And it was just like, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to communicate when, when you're rhythmically minded and somebody is right. Yeah. Or, or if you're, you understand pitch and tone and like trying to, I, I know I have, I don't have perfect, perfect pitch. I'm constantly trying for the right note and I know when I'm not there, but like, it, it's just hard to communicate that. Like yeah. if, if pitch is not something that you listen for and can tell that you're not hitting, it's impossible to explain to right. you. And it, it's just like, yeah, we, I could totally understand. Like, yeah, you just feel it out, recreate what you're hearing. Like that is gibberish to somebody who, who doesn't, hit the beat when they're they're bopping to it right. you know it's it's yeah. the the um us thing where the doppelganger can't snap on the right beat oh right yeah like it, it's that it's physically impossible they don't it that you don't think that way and it that yeah. makes it really really hard well and and you know and that's i i guess that's part of it too because it's like you know i you know again and maybe it's because i'm you know sort of rhythmic based but like you know i could always hear what the guitar was playing but I didn't know, again, I didn't know what chords were until one of the guitarists in one of my bands said, here, here's a sheet that has all the chords on it. And I started, oh, this is where I put my fingers. And I, you know, and that was the missing piece. Cause it's like, I can hear the guitar going, da, 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 da. But I don't know how to make those chords come out, but I know how to take my hand and go, da, 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 you know? And that was sort of the thing you, you, you would think that it's like, oh, if you want to play guitar, you're probably like me and you can hear this thing. And you're like, I don't know how to, but it's like, okay, these are the chords. So do that. And then you hear the thing going, da, da, da. And it's like, what, you know, and it's like, okay, I'll write out the rhythm for you. If you want to do this the hard way, like we could do this the hard way. I'll write it out and I'll teach you how to read it and count it, but you're going to hate it, you know, like, but yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is such a weird thing. It's like, you know, and, and I mean, I know, I know all the reasons I got into music and what kind of drove me forward. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's hard sometimes because you feel like some people it's like they want to do music, but it's like you have, if you have, maybe that's the trick to being, to, to teaching someone well is finding what it is that's driving them forward and working with that. But it's like, if, if neither of those elements are there, like why, why do you want to play guitar? If when you hear this song, like none of it is connecting with you in terms of what you want to reproduce, you know, like, mm -hmm. like I can understand if someone had perfect pitch and you're like, I know what this chord is, but I don't know what to strum. Oh, okay. We'll work on the rhythm, but it's like, and, and I get, yeah. Like you hearing a song and not being able to instantly know where to put your fingers to make that chord happen. But it's like, there, I feel like there's going to be some element that's, that's hitting you in a visceral way to make you be like, I want to be able to do that. Right. You know? And, um, yeah. So, so yeah, this whole thing's kind of off topic. This is more about, you know, teaching guitar, not me learning to play the drum set, but. Um, 
did you have any other albums or can I shamelessly transition yeah, into no, my we TED could, Talk we could, on? Yeah, we should definitely <laughs> My poorly poorly researched TED Talk. Oh god, yeah. is that the time? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll talk fast. Okay. <laughs> um so I mean wanting to make things crunchy is is a big motivation for the acquisition of guitar pedals. But any shitty amp can give you some distortion. The way you make a shitty amp and a shitty guitar sound cool and the way that you you can emulate the artists that you're you're listening to their records and wanting to to capture that sound. The way you do that without spending thousands of dollars is pedals. And that that is a big part of what I love about guitar is like I I have things on my pedal board that Eddie Van Halen used. Mm. It it didn't come out in the same year. It's got the same circuit board. It makes the same sound. He's playing it into a Marshall stack that costs thousands of dollars. I'm playing it into my $125, 25-watt Fender frontman amp. So, and the first, I think the first pedal I ever had was a Dunlap Wah-Wah pedal, mm. which is the wrong first pedal to acquire because you want it's it's to make the sounds jimmy hendrix made and when you're starting those are not the sounds that you can make with it it's also (laughs) a terrible pedal to have as your only pedal right that's what i was thinking yeah it's it's so such this this fringe thing you don't want it to be your go-to of like yeah 90 percent of what i do is wah pedal (laughs) and it's great like within a signal chain and when you under you you start to think about signal chains and understand how they work and where the different pedals are working towards something or backing off from something, where it where you put it is really important. And also, it, it's 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 a modulation pedal. I don't know what I'm talking about with half these things, but it makes it go wah 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 wah, right? Yeah. But well, the, you, I, the, I think the yeah, the word modulation just in general means like to change. So the fact that it's this gradual change from one thing to another thing, which, you know, volume can be considered a modulation, you know, and, and things like that. Um, you know, there is, there's a fancy music term for modulation, but that's not <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> so, and it's one of those things where if you, you go from it into your amp, part of what you do with a wah is you can click it and set it on the range of motion of that pedal. And you'll get spiky, punky, fuzzy type tone, or you'll, you'll get wider. And, and more blatty and more more flat. And when that's the only thing going and you don't have a sustainer, you don't have a boost, you don't have drive, you don't have any of these things and you're just going into a tiny little amp, it gets boring. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of why people buy pedals is they get bored. Mm. I've played these four chords through this signal. I've messed with these knobs. I don't really know what they mean, but I know that's the button you press to make it sound crunchy. So you want some kind of variety. Um, and then I got digital effects. That's a whole uh, debate. Um, but Digitech RP50. Um, basically, it has a whole bunch of presets. It's got 100, well, 50 preset sounds and then 50 slots for you to mess with them. Oh, so nice. it's like there's a chorus on here. There's a compressor. They've got ma- uh, amp modelers for like a a british tube amp and you can do these levels of distortion and then there's a chorus and then delay and reverb so like real basic stuff not terribly warm sounding or 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 
real sounding, but you put your headphones into this or you put, you play with it. And you, I, I played with this a lot. It also has a drum machine. So I just put yes. drums in the background and like, okay, this is relatively in time. Um, but as I started to like, I mean, my buddy Sam is a big part of the, the, the guitar origin story. He, he got a, uh, a tweed Fender Bluesman Jr. amp, which was a tube amp, and a fucking Ibanez Tomb Screamer. It's just like the most cliche, like, these are the first things you buy. <laughs> like, here's a tweed amp with tubes in Starter it. Starter kit. <laughs> and here's a, a Tomb Screamer. So it, it, it was a lot, of, a lot of pedal stuff was, like, aspirational. And then once I started like making money and also having a credit card, and not pay, not not paying attention to the budget, it's like this is a cool way to extend the creativity and and be inspired by different things without breaking the bank. Like you can get you can get a lot of decent pedals for under a hundred dollars. You can get a lot of decent pe- pedals for under fifty dollars. So it was it, it became kind of like. And as I've, I've following it, uh, it might get loud. I've gone right back in the rabbit hole of all the things I used to do looking at pedals. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very much a retail therapy addicted person. It's how I, I define my happiness is a lot of acquisition of things. And I was really depressed. I watched that movie and now I've been in this place and I'm chasing the high <laughs> of, oh, I could buy all of this other stuff and it doesn't make me feel bad right now. So that... The the unhealthiness of what this is spurring is its own conversation. Look, I found a way to talk about intimate shit. It's just <laughs> through my acquisition of things. Um, but it, it's like, it's a great, I've always liked gear. I've always liked things that I can research and people have an opinion about what's the best one. And I can have my own opinion about it. And then I go get that one. And then I find out if I liked it or not. Like, I love that, that I that's why I like Apple devices. That's why I, I've got iPads. It's like a whole bunch of like, I can do some research and find that specific thing and make it work in what I'm doing. So the YouTube, seriously, like my algorithm has shifted to where it was like four and a half years ago in three days time. <laughs> it's like rig rundowns and shootouts of different pedals and stuff I watched four years ago where it's like, build a pedal board for 200 pounds because these guys are British. Like it, it, it's this whole subculture and it's a whole different, it's almost its own instrument, right? Like how you create a signal chain from your guitar to your amp is its own orchestration. It's all how they all interact with each other, what you're trying to emulate. If you're trying to tweak it from what you're emulating to just be more unique or more what you prefer rather than trying to get it pitch perfect to what has been recreated. Um, um, after uh, the Digitech, I, I think the next one I got was a boss super overdrive, super simple, super clean. It's the same kind of circuit as a tube screamer. It's called a soft clipping overdrive. It just takes what your signal is doing and makes it break up a little bit more. You, I mean, you hear it on a million things. It's a great pedal. I still on my pedal board. I love it so much. It's bright yellow. Um, but I think I either got that one for first or I got a phase 90 and phase 90 is a phaser effect, which is kind of a swelling has a, a swelling effect. That sounds dirty. Um, <laughs> but it's something where you, uh, 
as it's only got one knob on it. Again, sec, like all of this stuff is way too sexual. Um, but a, as you kind of dial it in towards uh, uh, six o'clock, it's the swell gets shorter and shorter. So it's kind of giving this like wave effect. And as you get further and further, it goes, and then otherwise it goes like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I bought it because uh, Eddie Van Halen used it like on everything. He he used it so much and he co-opted the brand MXR and they made one specifically that was his like version of it. Like he dialed in specific settings that he liked and they, so, um, also a bad pedal to buy first, because unless you have some distortion or something behind it, it just, it, it quashes all the qualities of your guitar. It, it, it's, it's cool in as part of a mix and you're boosting a signal that, or you're bringing out the resonance of your guitar. It, but if, if it's the only thing going on, it, it just squashes it right down. It, it gives it no depth. Um, yeah, I think I just bought a lot of uh, boss stuff because I got a chorus pedal, which kind of makes things more kind of chimey, um, wet, I guess, is a way to describe mm-hmm. chorus. Um, just kind of, I, I, whenever I think chorus, I think uh, uh, living on a prayer for some reason, Bon Jovi sound. Like that seems like a very chorusy oh, okay. uh, guitar sound. Um, and then I got a delay. And delays are just fun. You you can do slap back where it's really close, where it sounds kind of like rockabilly-esque, like early rock stuff. Or you can have it four seconds in the in the future. You play something, <laughs> silent, 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 and then it comes back and scares you. Like, those are really fun. Um, and then I got a, a, a compression pedal, which blew my fucking mind, because that makes, like, all of when you you... Depending on your pickups and depending on how you play you're not strumming everything at the same level so you're the voicing of the different strings is not always coming through at the same level mm-hmm. compressor sustainer kind of helps with that kind of even evens it out um oh, okay. which is kind of cool and but that's something you put in the front of your signal chain and you use a boost pedal after it to kind of get back some of the timbre of your guitar so you're not it doesn't sound flat it doesn't sound like digital um yeah i I kind of have talked myself into a rut here like i i really like pedals they're like candy Mm -hmm. they're they're one of the 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 things that is like by their nature how they're designed and the people who design them have similar aesthetics to what i like so they i mean it's like microbrews right like Mm -hmm. everything is calling out to me this is fun this this tastes good this looks good like so it's it's a way to get a little piece of 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 what rock stars put on their boards and it's so cool that there's so many different varieties and you you can't help but come up with new sounds as a like in music there's so much that is rote like nobody's there's no new ideas but with like ring modulators and stuff that like send them through weird sign curves or like we like logarithmic i I have one called the uh, uh, lumberjack so instead of just like a sine wave for the sound, it's a logarithmic wave, which is boxy and weird, and it makes it oh, sound I would have like a chainsaw tooth because it's a lumberjack. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think in terms of like what I like sonically, um, 
I really like overdrive pedals. I think with when you get into like distortion proper, they get really muddy and not very clear. I like something that kind of come through and it's really kind of, uh, it's transparent as a way to describe overdrives. That's kind of the Klon. I don't know if you've heard of the Klon Centaur, Tim. No. So Klon was this uh, pedal, kind of legendary pedal that came out between, they were produced in from 1990 to 1994. And it was the specific signal, like transparent overdrive that was really kind of, uh, clear transparent means it's it's not squashing or adding to the sonic quality of your guitar it's just sending it through really pure and then it's got a crunch to it and it it kind of elevates it it's very kind of like mid sound heavy Mm -hmm. that makes sense it's like high mid low so that mid is kind of what's i'm i'm explaining for obviously you know um but so the Klon was really kind of unique. A lot of people really liked this specific one. And it was really kind of mysterious because the way they had the circuits inside, they were gummed, I believe it's called. So they were covered up. You couldn't tell. And if you went in to try and figure it out, you would fuck up the pedal. So <laughs> they were only pro- only produced for four years. And they're like the most sought after pedals now. They're like four and five grand on ebay and stuff right because so many people fucked them up there's a limited amount left in the right world. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's kind of a big um uh pedal myth like kind of chasing the dragon type thing where i don't know if that's an appropriate phrase to use anymore but um the trying to get that sound has it's, there's a whole subgenre of pedals are transparent overdrives or clon clones and clon starts with a k so clones with a K is this mm. big culture. So I, I mean, I have a clone on my board. It was $40. It's the electro harmonic soul food. It's a great pedal. I love it. I don't use it for anything like distortion. I just use it as a boost. It kind of gives mm-hmm. it a great mid boost and it, it makes everything else in the pedal train sound great. Um, and then <laughs> there are a couple like brands I really like. There, there's way huge electronics. Um, they have a, uh, distortion pedal I have called the Fat Sandwich, which is a great name. And then my favorite is this uh, uh, fuzz pedal called Swollen Pickle. It's big, it's green, it's nasty. It just gives you all of the fuzz nastiness that you want. It's it's very kind of Jack Whitey. And I think that that was another thing we brought up, and it might get live is like you particularly don't like the notes that he chooses, but I think it's more that the the sound that's coming out the effects he's using are not overly pleasant it's very fuzz Mm. which is heavier than distortion but he also uses a lot of this it's called the blue box an mxrr blue mxr blue box which is a a fuzz octave pedal but instead of doing an octave above it does an octave two below which makes sense because he doesn't have a bass player in his band so it's like that's how he adds low end and I, in, in kind of the long line of pedals that I've bought and some that I haven't kept, I bought that pedal and I couldn't, I couldn't make it work. It, it's such a weird sound and something that like he specifically dials in with his rig. And I was like, okay, I, I kind of see where this would fit in. And it's kind of like he's playing, but it, eventually I sold that pedal back because I mm. was, 
it was too frustrating. Um, but yeah, the swollen pickle is, is great. I'm, I'm obsessed with this pedal right now. This puddle company, I just, just discovered they weren't even in existence when I was looking at pedals, like in the last four years, they've, they've oh, wow. been created. They're called B tronics FX and their circuits within are in the shape of honeybees and honeycombs. <laughs> And they have this they like it's it's an overdrive or a, a a fuzz octave, but it goes up, and it's the coolest looking thing ever. And I'm just fucking obsessed. And it's way it's way more than I've ever paid for a single pedal, and I'm I'm probably gonna buy it soon. Um, so I have talked a lot. I'm sorry, this is very rambly. No, um, that's okay. I, mean, I talked a lot for the first half. <laughs> <laughs> well, effects wise, on on your end of things, what what have you had experience with? What kind of things do you like? Um, okay. So, yes, yeah, so my origin with this is a lot shorter than the drum set origin. So when I first started playing guitar, my first guitar was a an acoustic shitar that my uncle gave to me. Mm-hmm. And I think he said something. It was like, if I think the song we were listening to was uh, Freebird. And he's like, wow. if you can learn the solo at the end of this, I will buy you one of these guitars. And he had, I forget if it was either a flying a or a flying V. Cause I think I thought it was one. And then someone referred to it as the other. And I was like, well, maybe I'm confused. What's a flying but, a, I don't know. Maybe it's, a, it was a flying V and I thought it was an a, because the way I was looking at it, it's, you know, it's shaped like an a, so maybe it's a flying oh. V or maybe I, maybe I thought it was V and someone was like, I don't know. Anyway, okay. <laughs> but it was one of those. Let's guitars. unpack that for 45 minutes. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> no. Yeah. So yeah. Once again, it's one of those things where like, you know, I always wonder, it's like, was I right? And the other person who said it was just so confident about what they called it that I assume they're right. And now it's like, I'm embarrassed to say what the thing I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Someday I'll look it up, but I don't care. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so, so that was sort of the beginning was I was like, Oh, okay. I have this guitar now. Maybe I can learn this solo, but this was long before I knew, you know, again, I was like just a beginning drummer. I knew rhythm only. Um, I didn't even know how to tune the thing. Uh And so it just basically sat around in my room. Like my cousin would dick around with it. Sometimes we would try to learn stuff, but usually just on one string because the strings are never in tune with each other. So, you know, my cousin would try to play by ear and figure out melodies on one string, knowing Mm -hmm. that each fret is a half step. So finally, again, when I was in high school, one of my guitarists was just like, here, here's a a chord sheet. And then I, you know, and I think along with that was like, here's how to tune the guitar. These are the notes of the strings. This is how to do that. So, uh, so most of my beginning was acoustic. So again, this was like pre any effects. Right. And then once it was time to play electric, I think, uh, I forget where, I think my dad might've bought me my first electric and it's still the electric that I still have. It's the only electric guitar I've ever owned. Um, and my, I think soon after I got this, my cousin, he had bought like a small amp and he got a bigger amp. So he gave me, I think it was a Hondo amp. I think was the name. It was oh, probably, wow. Yeah. It was like maybe six inches, a six inch speaker or something like that, but it had a switch on it for overdrive. <laughs> and it was just like, why would you turn this switch off? Like I'm gonna have an electric guitar. I'm going to fucking play with this. But it was also not very rock and roll to have to push a switch on your amp like i want a fucking stomp box bitch like yeah. i want you know when i go from clean to distorted i want to step on something i don't want to have to use my hands and walk right. over to my amp so i always wanted to have like just a distortion pedal and i don't know why like i don't know if they were just too expensive or just like in terms of the money if i was spending money on other things but i just never i never got around to like buying a distort just a straight up distortion pedal and i think part of it too was also like I, I think I'd seen like overdrive pedals and I was like, well, is that really what I want? And, you know, and then once I learned, it wasn't just like, here's a pedal, 
And I think at one point I remember the brand that I knew guitarists, you know, who, who, who use these pedals and I liked the sound of one, but like, I could never find it. It was like, Oh, that's an old one. They don't make that anymore. They mm-hmm. do these instead. And it was like, yeah. and I think somehow I came across like, I have a chorus pedal somewhere. It's like the purple one. <laughs> and I remember it being purple and it was like, what oh, am I shit. supposed to do with just this? You know? Right. Is it so, an Ibanez? Maybe. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. That might be worth some some money, man. Yeah, maybe. Those I don't know mad. if it works or not, but I mean, yeah, it might be worth something. Um, and I remember that was part of it too, is like, well, if you have a pedal, you need to buy another cable because you've got a plug. Right, know. that's the so other like, thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it, it's just this exponential thing. And it was like, fuck. I so like I, I had, you know, I had a guitar, I had, one cable and one amp. And that was like. <laughs> I think I had the wah pedal, but couldn't fucking plug it in. I think I got, I think I got my Fender amp and my wah pedal for Christmas. Mm-hmm. but none of the cables. So oh, my God. guitar pedal, I could plug it into the wall, but there was no, uh, nothing else right. I could do. Yeah. And so, then you have so, to power them too. Like right. not only that, like you're also looking at nine volt batteries or mm-hmm. some way of plugging it in the wall. It's a whole thing. Sorry. Yeah. So no. So, so then, and I remember like, you know, I, I like the idea of different effects and I was like, it would be nice to have other sounds. And I think around that time was maybe also when a uh, lightning crashes came out, which has, I think that's a flange that's on that. Right. That's what that effect is. A flander. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Cause it's not chorus. Right. Cause I, mean, I think I used to get those confused and the chorus I think is a little more generic, but that is like this very specific sound. I remember being like, that is cool. I like that. Yeah. I want that. Um, and I remember becoming aware of, instead of having these individual pedals, uh, you know, line six made the, the pod, yep. which is, you know, kind of like what, but, but again, you know, people I knew who had it, it's like, Oh, I'm going to put this on a music stand. And while I'm sitting here playing guitar, I can tweak these knobs and push these buttons. I was like, I don't want something I have to touch with my hands. <laughs> Let like, me stop t- on this motherfucker. So then line six made the floor pod, which oh. was essentially their pod technology, but it had two pedals. So you could scroll through different sounds mm. and it had a pedal like a wah pedal, or oh, gotcha. pedal, depending on what you, or I think you can even use it. does a similar thing, yeah, but it, it was yeah. like scroll through and like, right. Yeah. So, so that was perfect. So I actually bought that. Uh, this was, I think post-college I think it was like 200 bucks, but I was like, fuck for like all these different effects. And, and I think, um, that was what I used. Like when we, when we, you know, when I was in the band where I played guitar, cause it was great. I could like, I could have like a wah pedal. I could have distortion. I could have chorus and flame, you know? So I did branch out a little because it was all right there. You know, right. I wasn't going to blow a bunch of money on one pedal and be like, this does one thing. And it turns out I hate it. You know, kind of like what you were saying with some of the stuff you bought, you know, like I wasn't as addicted enough to just be like, fuck it. I'm going to buy it anyway. It's like, I'm not going to buy any of this stuff. Um, but with the floor pod, it's like, even if I get three, four sounds out of this, it's, right. it's worth the money to me, you know? So that I used for a while and I loved it. And I used to experiment, like had my presets, which I was like, these are my main things. I got my super heavy, crunchy distortion. I also got a midway distortion, which I liked. And I liked the wah. And I think you could combine the wah with distortion, which yeah. I also love, you know, that type of thing. Um, but it was great. It was like, this is exactly what I want. This is the dream thing. Um, and then I moved out here and I didn't have room for it in my car. So like my, my, my floor pod and my electric guitar are still in my cousin's house. And then I think it was last year for Christmas or something. I was like, for Christmas, I'm giving you the floor pod. That is yours. Like you <laughs> open it, you play with it. That's yours. Use it. I'm not storing it in your house anymore. It's yours. Um, 
And then recently when we were talking about Rush stuff, he's like, want me to send you the floor pot? I'm like, no, that's yours now. Like, I could let <laughs> I don't you want to borrow think it. About it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, so yeah, so I have kind of gone through some, but that, that to me again was perfect. It wasn't about fine tuning and hand picking. It's like, I want this slab of, you know, things in front of me that I can play around with, which, like I said, I wouldn't use every sound, but it's nice to know that if I felt experimental, I could just play with these sounds, not be like, okay, I want to be experimental. I have to spend another 50 bucks if I want a new sound or, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, so there, there was a, a bit of me that branched into that. Um, oh, also I want to add is back in the day, what my cousin and I used to do, I think this was when like early on, like somehow he got a microphone. Mm-hmm. So we would take the microphone, throw it in the hole of my acoustic, and then plug that into the amp and turn oh. on the distortion. So my, actually, my first electric guitar was my acoustic, my shitar, with a microphone just rolling around in the body of it. Wow. That's <laughs> Also, amazing. the bridge was fucked up. The glue had... Oh, yeah. Off. So you got a little so whammy. I had a, yeah, I had a whammy bar on my acoustic. <laughs> until what? it just completely broke, and then it was like, you know, okay, now this is useless for me. What was the the brand of your electric? Uh, I think it was a known. It was like a Strat copy. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, but I love it. It's it's the loudest unplugged electric I've ever heard. Like nice. it's almost as loud. So as So it's got some guitar. resonance to it. Yeah, like somehow. That's sick. Yeah, and it's got this. It's got one of those old school whammy bars too, where it's like screwed on. Yep. You know, and it's like this big it's like a fat plate. Like, yeah, it's it's not like the it's not like the regular Strat whammy bar. Where it's like the thin like yeah. thin little thing. It's not a um, twig. So, yeah. And it, and it's great. And somehow it holds its tuning really well too. Like even, you know, like either, either when it sits or when using the whammy bar, like you wouldn't think, you know, um, but yeah. So, so that was a great, yeah, that was a great guitar. I never needed to like, Oh, I need to buy a new electric. I bought acoustics. Um, I owned a, um, I had a ovation at one point because I love the sound of ovations. So great. Yeah. I want one I hate, so bad. I hate playing ovations because they're so uncomfortable because of the rounded back. They just slide off your That's leg. right. And yeah. I fucking hated that. Especially mine. Mine was thinner, but the the body of it was fatter for some reason. So gotcha. it made it way more uncomfortable. Um, so I eventually sold that one, and now I have a, a Taylor, which I love. Like I love the sound of it. It's just this nice. I don't think anybody's like, ever complained about a Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus Christ, shit. those are yeah. nice. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's my guitar origin story. So <laughs> yeah, so now and that's the only guitar I have here is the Taylor. But like mm. I said, the electrics at my cousin's house with the floor part, which is now his, maybe someday I'll buy another one for myself and be like, now it's really yours because this is mine. So you have to keep it. (laughs) And I think for me, a lot of, since I had the Digitech, I mean, it's in the name, like there's, there's a whole lot of digital versus analog Mm. warmth versus kind of cold, uh, artificial sounding things like that, that, that kind of fascinated me. And I was, I was starting to like, outgrow it in terms of what i wanted to try and do sonically um and i mean i guess boss is a great pedal brand for that like if if you buy a mega distortion pedal and a a super overdrive you'll be happy for a long time Mm -hmm. and they're fucking indestructible they've been making the same pedal for 40 years and they're they're stainless steel they're really easy to to hook in and and so but like trying to get stuff that's like analog and and trying to or or understanding what you're wanting out of things like what a chorus does how it interacts with the flanger how it interacts with the phaser 
how distortion cuts through where to put the distortion does it come after that does it come before that like that whole kind of the the pedal board craftsmanship is something that i'm also fascinated with because it's it, it, it's an, a, another thing where you, the skill is not musical or accuracy in that sense it's what sounds cool mm-hmm. so it's a lot of twisting knobs which is anybody could twist knobs right and i think something that i i've always wanted the pedal board off the floor I hate fucking standing up and playing guitar, having to put it down and dial in something. So one of my dreams was always to get like a standing desk for recording, put the pedal board up there into the, the amp or into the interface directly. And I'm tweaking in and dialing in stuff. It's like, that's the sound. And then go straight into recording like that with this setup. Now I find, I finally have the desk big enough to do that. I did that the other the other day which was oh, really nice. sick i haven't done it in a long time but uh yeah it's just a really interesting cool accessory but also a, a an extension of of mm. guitar playing which i i really enjoy and it's i mean it's it's a uh uh capitalist <laughs> uh, uh materialist endeavor which i also really <laughs> enjoy to my detriment so, yeah, but you're, you're working on your art, you know, and that's, that's something I always <laughs> don't tell give, myself. Don't give me know. an excuse. <laughs> you know, yeah. No, but I, I've had to tell myself that for years, you know, back when I was like buying all these little, you know, different hand drums and different percussion instruments just right. to kind of like flesh out the, you know, the, all these additional colors and, you know, and then again, those also got left behind when I moved out here. So it's like, those are scattered among my different friends' houses, you know, and it's like, or in my mom's basement still, you know, but it's like, you know, at least at the time, like, you know, good came of it because there was stuff I was able to do with those different sounds, you know, and different, you know, you know, to, to combine in different ways. And, you know, and that's the thing is like, it's, um, you know, there, there's, there's the, the, the rhythmic idea, but I mean, the rhythm will only take you so far to me anyway, if, if you're using it. And I think this is maybe where we kind of cross over if you're, if you're doing it with the same timbres over and over again, whereas if you can say, okay, well, instead of playing this on the Tom Toms, what about on bongos and congas instead, or what about a djembe, you know, like that's where you kind of breathe new life into these, these same things, you know, and maybe that's what it is like with guitar effects, you know, it's like, yeah, we're doing, it's the same chords, the same notes, the same progression. But if we add, this effect to it and this sound and it tweaks the timbre in this way or adds this delay and this rhythm to it, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And that's, and, and oddly enough, that's also, I feel like at least in classical music, it's the least focused on aspect of music. You know, they say the music, four parts of music are melody, harmony, rhythm, and timbre. And I feel like most people put rit- melody as the highest because it's like, Oh, well, that's the tune. You got to know the tune, you know? And um, you know, like, and then, you know, rhythm is probably up there because I feel like it's the more primal of them, you know, and then harmony is like, okay, well, it's not traditional harmony necessarily, but how do these combined sounds work together? But it's like, you know, timbre, okay, yeah, well, well, it's it's for strings. That's the timbre, strings, done, we're moving on, you know. You know, and I, I've never been, had as a, an assignment to analyze the timbre of a piece of music. It's always, you know, melody and harmony, like what are the chords, what are the, right. you know, the Roman numerals, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, that's all well and good. It definitely gives you a better understanding, but it's like, we, we almost never, not, not never, but almost never talk about, well, what is, how about, how are these timbres interacting, you know? And I feel like that's definitely, 
in a lot of ways, a very, a 20, 20, 20th century concept, you yeah. know, you know, both with like the, the explorations of different sounds with like the, the early 20th century composer, you know, early, mid, late 20th century, but also with electronic music, that was a huge explosion of timbre, you know, same thing, like you're talking about like tweaking knobs, you know, like plugging cables, you know, like, okay, let me take a, a pure sine wave and how can I send this through all these oscillators and effects and, and fuck with it and create my own new sound that's never been heard before, right. you know, and it's, it's, it's one pitch. Like we don't care about harmony, melody, and rhythm at that point. It's one sustained pitch, but we're trying to create this perfect timbre with that one thing. Um, you know, and I, so, so yes, I mean, I, you know, as much as I, and, and, and maybe sometimes my comments are, it's almost more of like an insecurity, you know, because that is so much of the focus of, you know, the 20th century and even into the 21st century is, you know, timbre has been pushed to the front. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. look at, look at how many film scores you listen to where there's no discernible melody, but you're hearing all these drones and this, this sound morphing, you know, and that's why like, you know, sound design, right. which I feel like back in the day, sound design was like, Oh, we're outside. We should hear birds chirping and the wind blowing. Now right. sound design is like, what kind of weird fucked up synth drone is going to make you throw up, feel like you want to throw up while you're watching my <laughs> film, you know? Um, but, but, but but that's the thing that's that's it you know that's such a big part of it you know and and yeah exploring these new timbers is you know it i mean you could even say all along it should have been just as important as the other three aspects of music right. you know but we just kind of took it for granted like well that's what a violin sounds like we don't need to think about that that's just what right. it is you know but it was like whoa what if what if we make a violin sound like this instead? So it doesn't sound like a What if we make a cello sound like an electric guitar? <laughs> and then try to make that like cello that sounds like an electric guitar sound like Robert Plant. <laughs> it was like in terms of like timbre. I, I was jamming the other day and I, I, I hit record. And it, this is, this is kind of like the, 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 the black, it's like a lost session. It sucks. Like the, it's a sad story. Like I had put in and I dialed in these effects and I, I was pressing record as I was going and figuring things out and messing up. And at the end, I realized that I hadn't switched the input to my audio interface. Uh, so all it was picking up was the laptop microphone hearing my, my, I, or my Epiphone casino, which is a hollow body. It's not a big hollow body. So it was getting all of the acoustic shit, but none of the shit that I dialed in. And I was playing like some pretty fuzzed up stuff and just discovering, rediscovering the harmonics of the guitar where it's, it's near, near notes and how you're dividing the string. If it's within an even number where on the, or uh, even distance, it resonates differently. That's a lot of uh, uh, ACDC does that. And a lot of Van Halen stuff does that. It's just not pressing the frets down, but finding, you you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, where, and I was just, I was finding a groove and a rhythm with that. That was only being voiced because of the distortion I was putting through it and the way it was resonating with the delay and the chorus. And it's gone. It doesn't like it only happened. It, it was a great kind of Zen moment. Like a, a, I, I had to have my, my frustration and my sadness have a very short half-life. Cause it was a very like, no, you were living presently. You, that happened. You enjoyed it. And now you're always going to remember it because you don't have a recording of it rather than the other way around. 
Because so many times I'll jam on something, I'll hit record. It's just in my my fucking hard drive, and I don't go and back and revisit it. But that moment, I'm always going to remember because it was like I I, I didn't capture what was actually yeah. happening, which was kind of well, cool. Well, plus, if you make a recording, there's probably no guarantee that you can reproduce how you made that sound unless you kind of right. leave yourself directions for, I had this and this at this level, you know, like. Shit, I had that. So I, I went on a, a, a deep dive with my, like, voice memos on my phone. Like, a lot of me playing through uh, uh, college and stuff was, like, trying to find, I could play through the iPad. They have, like, a garage mm-hmm. band for iPad. Oh, yeah. With, with amp modelers and stuff and i'd play through that and instead of using the microphones i'd be using like a weird way to input into the the amp modelers it'll make it more distorted sound like like a harmonica mic but whenever i would get an idea i would like just throw voice memos up and record it just open air and a lot of times it was with my my ibanez hollow body because i didn't have an acoustic at the time but with the k guitar that i found in the goodwill um so K is the same brand that Jack White has. And I found a 1968 uh, uh, parlor guitar in Goodwill. I paid $9. I'm just filling in the listeners who might not have listened to Movie Mumble. <laughs> we, are, we are pimping hard for Movie Mumble this episode. Um, but the uh, I had to have it repaired. They had to put the, the nut at the, the headstock with, where it kind of feeds the, the uh, strings down into the bridge. Um, I had to have that replaced and I had to have the tuning pegs replaced. And the first time that I, I got it all ready to play, it it wasn't very long before strings started to pop on it just because I don't think they finished the, the nut part of it as well as they could have. So um, I don't think it's called a nut. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, the, uh, the way that things were voiced missing those strings was really unique. And because it was strung with nylon strings, it had this very like kind of rain song, rainy aesthetic. So I actually found a uh, recording that I had done on voice uh, memos with those voicings of it that I'll never be able to recreate because of the way the strings were gone and which chords I was playing was omitting notes that would normally show up. So it's something I have the recording from. I think I'm going to like put it into something and loop it and like, because I won't be able to recapture it. It was just a really cool kind of like, Oh shit. I captured that moment. I don't know if I'll ever get that again, but I have it. Like it was, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. It was really cool. Those are kind of ideas that don't go anywhere. (laughs) The songs that never were. Right. Yeah. No, that's well. And I think, I think part of me is that's why, I don't want to start working that way because I feel like I, I have heard of those, all those heartbreak stories where I created this amazing thing and I don't know how I did it and I can never do it again. You know, whereas for me, like whatever, whatever I'm doing, you know, there's, there's at least very soon after there's some sort of sketch, there's some sort of note right. of like, okay, these are the pitches I played and with these sound, you know, um, I had that with a song. I remembered the lyrics of, I could kind of remember the melody, but I never, I couldn't rem- I never wrote down the chords. So I had to go back in like voice memos and try and figure out what the chords were. And a lot of them right. were like early drafts. So it, it had evolved from that. I finally found it and I wrote it down as quick as I could to try and get it. But it was like, Oh shit, that was gone. And it, it's one of those things where 
with me, if I, I'm playing songs that I've written, I play some so frequently that I don't even need to remember because it's just under my fingers. I played it so many mm-hmm. times. And yeah. for a long time, that song was like that. And then it fell out of my rotation and I didn't play it for like two years and it was gone. It was, it was fucking scary, like really heartbreaking. Yeah. But. Well, that's, that's one of the advantages for me is like, because I'm only a mediocre guitarist, like, you know, and the chords I know are relatively limited. If I ever forget what the chords are, it's like, well, you know, you've only got so many options. You know, right. you, know you didn't use this chord. That's it's one of hard. six. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're not really barring. We're not, we're not doing this shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's about enough of that. <laughs> we can't, we can't make them go any less far than that. Here's Tim with the final word. Guitar. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>